Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. Whitney, it's our 93rd episode. It seems like every time we record, it's like a milestone. <laughs> we should celebrate all the all the numbers, not just well, the the ones the you know the the deca numbers, you know, yeah. the tens, twenties, thirties, hundreds. I, I get it, but you know, I mean, the number does go up by one every time. So there, I mean, we do have that. That's going unexpected. For us. <laughs> Is that the way it works? Uh, typically, yes. Yeah. yeah. I know we did the thing ever, you know. Every once in a while, we throw in a B and an A. We quit doing yeah, that. Yeah, you just got to stop doing that. Because I, I, the problem is with that is I was confusing even myself, even from month to month to month. And it's like, is what this 6A? Is this 7C? What is this? You know, 8, you know, 842? Bingo. Yeah, it's like bingo. And I, I just despise that. So it's like, even if it's a small episode, it, it just it, it increments the ticker and we just keep on going. So this is episode 93-ish? Ish. Uh, no, yeah. it is 93. Yeah, it is 93. It is 93. There may be more than 93 total, yes. Yes. but this is 93. This is number 93. Correct. So we're actually going to do something on this show that we've never done before. <laughs> We'll see how this goes. <laughs> no, it should be good. I'm just looking through all all of this, and it's like, whoa. So this is going to be our first ever mailbag show. We're going to do our normal updates. We're going to yeah. t- touch on what we've had going on. And I, I know mine, mine are pretty dr- cut and cut and dry. They're pretty boring because oh. of what I've been into. So they'll be pretty quick. And then we're going to get right into... What user or users? Yeah. You can tell what I do for a living. Yes. What, yes. what listeners? We work on software. Yes. yes. What listeners want to know from us? Exactly. Exactly. I, and with my with my update, Brent, I will say I, I broke new ground this month, this past month. Uh, pun intended. You'll get that when uh, I get uh, to it. But I, but outside of that, yeah, I'll keep my update short and sweet because the honestly the sheer amount of feedback that we got here is. That's it, good. It's it's great. It's great. I mean, I was going through and pulling all of this, and it, it was it was like, okay, what do I leave in? What do I put in? What do I leave out? Because I, I think I I think I said this before we started uh, recording, and you hit the red button. Is for as much as we're going to go through, I've easily got this much over again to do mailbag version two, or you know, part two, or part D. Yeah, however we want to look well, at it. Well, I don't think we want to do a back-to-back. No, no, no. no. But I, maybe I think, before we hit the Magic 100, yeah. we'll do another mailbag show. Yeah. Or right after or something like that. what yeah. we've got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's There's there, there's there's a lot. Well, you know, I have not... Uh, I, I've seen a few of the, the questions like that came through the Facebook yeah. post when yeah. you had thrown up the mailbag ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but I've really for the most part tried to stay away from these so I could answer them just right as, as you know, I, I didn't want to come in with an answer and, and I wanted it to be and that's very fair now that's that said fair. I'm scrolling through the listeners a couple people here I think while you're doing your updates I'm just going to delete because I don't care <laughs> well <laughs> no I mean that's podcaster's prerogative I suppose but, so uh, big red x on yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have to have some anger management the first discussions right, when this is all I don't done. know who this flights character is <laughs> nope <laughs> well some some of these admittedly as we read through them they're they're gonna they probably may sound a little dated just from topics and things like that and and that's fine and and 
the main thing is everybody wrote in and we want to, we want to give them their due. So I, I, pr- I mean, I certainly appreciate oh, it, yeah. I, I, it. And I do in all seriousness, yeah, yeah. um, if just to scroll through this list and knowing that this is just, um, it's just part a, of the list. It's just, it's just and, part of the list. And, and I'll give the disclaimer that I hear on all the podcast mailbag shows, just because you don't hear your question, does not mean that it wasn't a cool or important question. Yes. But we can only do so many. That's true. Yeah. And, when we, and when we get to a certain part of the feedback, I, I've got a special uh, a special shout out or a special acknowledgement that, that I want to give that is long overdue, actually. But we'll, we'll get into all of that uh, in due time. So, Brent, I'm looking at your list of updates here, and I feel like I... <laughs> I feel like I slacked <laughs> off. Oh, like like all I was doing was you know just nothing. My, my com- updates, comparatively. So man, what what is all of t- this? Typed out, they look long, but the short of it is, is first of all, there's one thing I wanted to touch on, and I meant to do this on the the first show that we actually had a, a chance to sit down face to face and record, given the events of you know 2020 here. Yeah, yeah. I, I post post quarantine. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep this ends up on the list, and I don't ever talk about it. One of the things that I did during kind of the downtime is I went through and I reorganized all of the podcast files that I that I maintain. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess I'm putting this out here as a little bit of info for somebody. If you're ever considering doing this, keep a keep a a tight grip on on your on all of your master files. Yes, they they walk away from you over time, don't they? Yeah, they they get spread out. Yes, and so what I do. So Whitney and I split the the you know we we kind of split the roles yeah when it comes to production duties how about exactly that? Yes. and that's that's how we can do what we do yeah so so one of the one of my primary tasks is is editing so I take care of the audio uh, for the most part and I end up with the master recordings of each of our segments. I take those when I go to edit, make a copy, so I keep the master untouched, and then mm-hmm. I edit away. Mm-hmm. And when I when it, when a show's finished, I have all the masters untouched as we recorded them. Mm-hmm. I have edited copies of all the segments, and mm-hmm. then I have the assembled show, and that stays in a directory, you know, that corresponds to the show number. I, well, I record on one PC, and I tend to edit on another PC. And at one point in time, I originally edited it on a third PC that's in my shop and I had a fairly good handle. Oh, oh, then when I'm done, I back those up on two separate, uh, um, store, two separate drives, yeah. not in PCs They're USB connected hard drives, like yeah. terabyte hard drives. Yeah. I, I don't want to risk losing a copy. So I keep a live, an active copy on a, on a running machine and I keep two backups. I was shocked at how out of sync everything was. Yeah, and it gets that way and, quick. And, man, I spent I don't know how many hours with USB hard drives out and these two laptops and then playing those against even some of the uh, going back just to verify, mm-hmm. even though I already had a good start on those on those USB drives, just to verify to make darn sure I had everything, even comparing back to that third PC. And yeah, don't let that get away from you. I no. don't, if you're doing a podcast or anything, you know. It, it, being IT people, we tell, well, did you back up? And then we look at them crazy when they didn't. No yeah. good and well, we don't. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a part of that to it. And then we keep 
a copy up on what up on our OneDrive cloud oh, yeah. storage. I, there's a copy there as well. There's yeah. a copy of everything up on OneDrive, and then I keep a copy on my NAS. I keep a copy of everything that comes across the OneDrive on my NAS, and then a copy on my PC, my desk station that I that I work from. And it's yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot because. <laughs> Yeah, because because after you give me the edits, then it's on to the then it's on to the 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 encoding, the artwork, the the tagging, the get it up on the get it up on the web server, get it submitted, you know, everything else that, that happens after that, you know, just the the show notes and, and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, yeah, it's 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 like a production. It's like a jeep falling off of a cliff <laughs> le- version of a production is what it is. Yes. We, we do all of this for you. <laughs> All right. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, it's kind of, it was a shout out to myself because <laughs> it was a, it was, it was a shout out to myself. It was there quite a bit. It's and a lot I, of work. It, isn't it's, it? you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. Yeah, so you got to. All right. So here, here here's kind of what I've had going on since the last show. For those that have kept up with us, uh, uh, I've, I've had a list of things that are broken in the game room and everything's still broken. I haven't touched anything. I haven't opened up anything. <laughs> Wait until you see my update. Not a thing. All right. And, all right. and the reason is, is I am still, I am Whitney. I am probably if I do, wait, let me take my, I'm counting. Are you still watching Pluto TV? Oh, I'm still watching. Oh, I'm still on board with Pluto. Oh, okay. Fair enough. And and for those that are, that, uh, that are on the, on board with the Star Trek, Maxine, the show dog is upstairs watching Star Trek on Pluto TV right now. What's, what's she watching though? I it's, mean, how does she tend to lean? It's next gen. I mean, oh, that's what they're, enough. that's basically what they're running oh, is next fair gen. Enough, fair enough. And they're continuing to add episodes. We talked last time they're into Riker's beard episodes. Yeah, so we're good yeah. into we're far into season three. And yeah. I'm seeing Cardassian episodes with Cardassians in it. They're adding, it's getting, they're, they're rounding out their next gen <laughs> as we speak. Very fair. I'm Very good. still on board. Yes. Good. But why haven't I fixed everything? I am still deep into sorting these parts out. And I, I am, geez, Whitney, I'm probably day 612 into 14 days to sort these parts. Yeah. yeah. It, it has, it has been a misjudgment on my part. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even begin to, to explain how much stuff I've gone through. And the short of it is, if this is your first episode that you've listened to, I've been crunching on, uh, going through parts that I had gotten several years ago from an operator who who closed out, and basically I bought out their tech room, and it was just stacks of little hardware storage bins. You know, like you normally put like nuts and bolts and screws in. Mm-hmm. It was. Do I still have my number in here? It was. It was over. Four, I did the math. I remember this. It was on the conservative side, over four hundred little drawers of ICs, EPROMs, capacitors, transistors, everything that you can imagine that would have been in play in an operator's tech room from the late 70s up through the heyday and into the 90s. Yeah. And it's just been crazy. Um, It's a lot. It it has been. It's a lot. I have... I just, I can't even tell you how much time I poured into it, but it, it's almost done since we last spoke. I, I've gone through all the capacitors and it's a lot of film caps, a lot of polypropylene caps, a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot of electrolytics in there. And honestly, I tossed yeah. most of those right off the bat. I did keep quite a few. It was kind of easy to tell which were newer 
and which were older and which you could tell, you know, there was some where you could look at the legs and you could tell the electrolytic had just, it, it had, it had, the cap had broken down and the electrolytic had walked almost like battery corrosion. Interesting. Yeah. Had walked down the legs, yeah. you know, stuff like that went, went away. Yeah. Caps that were like, at least electrolytics that were of a higher end brand that were obviously newer because it was newer fonts and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And it's funny how you can tell that by looking at them. It, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I put them away in a box because I, I need to do a little bit more research on shelf life. I've seen stuff that, that lists, I've seen articles that talk about electrolytic caps having a shelf life, life as short as two years. And I know I've got caps electrolytics that I've bought. That's already in my stock that I've had well over two years. Oh yeah. And I've rebuilt monitors and power supplies and I've gone on with them and not had any issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially if you're looking at the little caps and they're pennies a piece and I need eight, well, I might buy 50 or a hundred. Yeah. Especially if it's something that's like in a Geo 7 or something common that I'm always working on, I'll buy a bunch of them. So I, I'm not to the point of tossing those yet, but they are kind of set aside and those haven't been integrated into my core stock like a lot of this other stuff stuff was. You know, there was honestly, there's a fair... Uh, a fair number of, uh, uh, gosh, the word is escaping me right now. I already talked about polypropylene. You're not talking about the, the oh, ceramic the, caps, are you? The which? The, the ceramic caps? You're not talking I had about a lot of ceramics. Are oh. Are you talking about the, the tantalum? Tantalum, thank yeah. you. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, I'm, I'm here all night. It's, you're here all night. Thank yeah, you. I'm, thank you. I'm night. glad you're here. Yeah. My gosh, yeah, man, no it's worries. been... I was telling Whitney earlier, it's been a rough week for me. And I personally don't care about Whitney because it's all about me. But it's been a rough week and my brain has not caught up. But no, there was a lot of tantalums, which personally I tend to replace, at least in what we do, you can get away with a modern, a nice quality, modern electrolytic. But, um, you know, because the, the when the tantalums go, they'll either go short and cause a, a pretty massive problem somewhere else in the circuit or when they go short they'll literally you know poof, they'll, they'll yeah. flame up and burn all kinds of stuff up so yeah w- when when i come across those i tend to replace them but there was a good selection of tantalums in that in there as well so those kind that, those all got categorized and put back in my normal stock and the last thing the most recent thing i've been grinding on is eproms and i mean i i, I had a, a fair pile of eproms that kind of come out of everything but it shocked me how long that that it took to do this. I was I looked at him and I thought I'll have an an afternoon in this, a few hours. I'll go out in the my my garage in, in an evening and spend a couple hours here, a couple hours there. I started on these and I must have Whitney at least ten hours into these EPROMs. And what I ended up doing is I took the EPROMs that came in this lot, and then I had a pretty good size box of pulls that came from uh, somebody on Clove, I don't know how long ago. And the box was probably, I don't know, probably eight inch cube, eight inch by eight inch by eight inch. Okay. And it was half to maybe a little under two thirds of the way full. It was just, it was literally EPROMs, like right out of boards that were thrown in this box. And I said, well, if I'm going to go through this lot, I'll go through that lot instead of just having a random box and I'll sort and organize everything and put them all in storage containers. And by the time I went through both of those random lots and then I integrated those into my my stock already, like I said, I, I had 
10, 12 hours into these things. And I don't, if I never see another EEPROM again, Whitney, you're happy. I, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, I'll so, let you, I'll let you know if I need some though. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's well, pretty I sweet. Have, I have a substantial collection of EEPROMs at this point. <laughs> trust trust awesome. me. That's awesome. The next thing up, and I've been kind of, you know, not wanting to get to these. I keep putting them away. You know, I'll get to those. And, and I'm down to the point where I, where I can't avoid them is all the resistors, you know? So I've got oh, a, a couple of those little like parts oh. organizers full of resistors. Oh, it's like separate. Dude, it's like sorting hay. Oh, it's, it's, it is exactly. Yes. yes. It's like sorting hay. I, I, a lot of the drawers are labeled. But as I have found with everything else, there's always, you know, some degree of like cross pollination of all of this stuff. I keep looking at it like, you know, I've already got a fair resistor collection. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm like, I don't know, Whitney, there might be a hard decision made when I get to the point of finally setting those couple bins up on the workbench Uh and starting to pull the drawers out. It's it's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. Yeah, I might have a I might have a a trash bag of resistor hay coming up. I I, I don't know. But I'm I'm telling you, man, opportunity cost on time versus just getting on mauser or digikey or great plains or wherever and, and just, just, and yeah. just say listen i'll spend a dollar 12 send me a hundred you know and that's essentially what it is i, I think I, I'm, I'm gonna at least look through for anything like half water greater i have more quarter watt resistors than than i could tolerate I have a fair number of halves, so that might be where I'm more more apt to focus a half and up. And I can tell you right now, in this in this lot, there was probably close to a metric ton of the of the larger like five watt and up <laughs> ceramic you know wire round wire wound uh-huh. resistors. Yeah. So those are going to be a feed into themselves to go through. I've got them sort of organized. My last move was to take all of my uh, five watt and up resistors outside so that I could do like I've done with everything else, which is lay it all out together and then, you know, do the integration and figure out how I'm going to store them. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, for what I, I sound like I'm complaining, but I can't because I'm fortunate to have, have gotten the, the deal on all these parts and, yeah. you know, they've well, I, I have, gotten well above and beyond what i paid for these in hard parts back usable good parts not to mention the rare stuff i found yeah so you know since the last time you and i've talked i uh i know i've come across a a new old stock quad pokey you know right from atari i've come across a couple new old stock atari slapsticks i don't know if you know what those are oh yeah yeah. So I've come yeah, those are used on the System 1 game, yep. I believe. I've yep. come across a few of those, handful of other. I've got some uh Nuo stock Sega ICs, you know, th- this things that like in the Sega world, kind of like with a Pokey, uh-huh. pe- Sega people have gone and reproduced and made available with modern modern pe- you know, modern hardware. I- I've got some Nuo stock Sega parts as well. So yeah. There's some nice stuff in there, obviously, but there's also a lot of resistors. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of those things that it's like, listen, what is my time really worth? Uh, But but I don't know. In pandemic, if we if we look at this from a pandemic standpoint, uh, you know, hey, just it fills up. It fills up a Thursday afternoon. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I, I keep looking at like this. I 
get all of this space back in my garage. I uh-huh. had one of your kind of run of the mill hardware store. I think it was one, two, three, maybe four. No, I think it's just a four shelf, like snap together shelving unit. No, you get the like the round pipe legs and you got your base and each of the shelf tiers are the same. And you put one of them down, you put four pipes in it, stick another shelf on it, put pipes in it. You know what I'm talking about? So those are maybe what, about six foot tall? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they're done. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of those full top to bottom packed with all of these little bins taking up space just in my garage. And that was after I got tired of moving, moving them around 50 times. I said, okay, I'm going to dedicate a a space to them to store them until I could go through them. So the upside is I get all that back. I get the shelving unit back. I get the floor space back and, and I get basically all of those parts integrated into the wall that was already dedicated to parts in my shop. Yeah. So the only thing that I'm really going to have left, and I don't, I don't think I'm going to be in a mood to tackle this is I've got a pretty good size box. that's full of tubes, like I see storage tubes. Uh Like when you buy new chips, you get them in a tube potentially. Yeah. And quick look through it. These were the master EPROMs and PROMs from this operator. You got to think back when they were doing this, the era of Pac-Man and Galaxian and Galaga and whatever pins they were operating. You couldn't go to the internet and download copies of of the EPROMs. You couldn't download the images. You couldn't even most likely dial a BBS. Yeah. Remember the BBS days when we used to have to get files for our computers at our our work? You couldn't most likely dial. I I need to ask that. I need to ask around. But I bet you couldn't dial a BBS and pull down ROM 6 for Pac-Man, you know? So what they did is, is... they had copies that they used as their masters and they stored them in a filing cabinet. And that's what this big box looks to be. So I, I need to go through it and make sure there's nothing else in there. But last time I remember thumbing through it, that's what it was. It was like either some of them were copies. You could tell because they were handwritten labels. But the lion's share of them were factory EPROMs. Like they had the factory Atari stickers on them or the factory Bally Midway stickers on them. And I guess, you know, at some point if they had the first board to die and if they converted the cabinet or if they converted the cabinet, say the board still worked, which was probably my guess because they want to make sure the proms worked and the EPROMs worked. They'd harvest all the EPROMs and stick them in a tube. And that was now their master set that they would use to fix other games. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got that sitting out there. I'm going to go through it. And the, the real win for me, there's the proms I've got, a um, what's the, you've got one of the EPROM. Oh, yeah. yeah. One of the data. I data. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You did. You did get a bunch of proms. Really? Oh yeah. I've got, now I've got a few blanks, Okay, but I've got a lot of originals. Oh, you've like got a, tons oh, of originals. Okay. Original proms. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I got a handful of blanks, yeah. but, but still. Uh, yeah, if I uh, either way, either way, I'm it's, either way. That's good. I'm setting pretty good. You're yeah, setting pretty good. So if I needed to program one, I've got a data IO, and uh-huh. I'd have to dig that out. And that's another thing I need to get out one yeah. day and and work myself through. Yep. Oh yeah. But I've also got, like I said, tons 
of proms. Yeah. And oh, that, that's, that's good. I, I've got several that are in tubes that are labeled, but I've also got a lot that are loose. And I, I okay, I know this is an Atari because I can see the the original part number on it, the, the from what, what was the the bare prom. Yeah. And then the stamp on it with the Atari symbol logo and the Atari part number. And honestly, I don't know if I have the wherewithal right now to Google all those oh, and catalog all of <laughs> no. those. Yeah. Because it's, it, because every game uses more than one prom. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that may be one of one of four, one of eight, you know, something like that. Who knows? It's going to be a lot of work. I, I think what I'm probably going to end up doing with those is pull out all the loose ones that I've got and that might be something where I just keep them next to my bench and maybe I'll do four or five here, four or five there and just slowly work through them over the winter. Yeah. Oh, another thing I've got is uh, um, I have probably a gallon storage bag full of like Pac-Man factory game ROMs. So mask mask ROMs, you know oh the one-time programmable oh, mask yeah. ROMs yeah. Oh, that yeah. they would they were producing bulk. Yep, that you could replace with an EEPROM. Yep, but they, a, but they have no window. Exactly, yes. I must have a literal gallon like freezer storage bag full of those. Wow, I've, I mean they were. Just, you, I mean, what do you do with those? I probably you know. You know if I now that I think about it, they were just basically poured in that filing cabinet that I pulled those tubes out of. Uh-huh. I that. I tell you what they did with them. They just put them in. They literally dropped them in a filing cabinet yeah. drawer. Wow. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I always envision someday I'll make some kind of steampunk robot thing, kind of like the the little mouse robot that zipped around the the Death Star in Star Wars. Oh yeah, that had that Gennaro circuit board. Yeah, you know, I always envision someday I'll make something like that, and I'll need a glut of just random electronics, uh-huh. you know, to it, make a Borg suit or something. And that would that would suffice. Or you can make you can make you know, I don't know jewelry i don't know it, it just crazy stuff but ultimately i mean what's the what's the true use of those if they're not in their original application i mean you <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at man i'm i'm just pouring I, I don't know if you've noticed here in front of me whitney i've got a new to me pc and a new monitor set in here and the the next step here is i've gotten to the point where i'm going to my computer oh, desk nice. that's in my shop, mm-hmm. it is just stuffed full of crud. And it's to the point where, man, I'm getting where I'm just tired of all this stuff. So as soon as I finish this little project, I'm going to wreck havoc on that that bench in there and redo everything and decide why I've kept this little scrap of paper and this little that. So that's yeah. my next oh, month's yeah. updates are probably going to be even more boring <laughs> because it's going to be we're we're deep into shop revamp at this point you know yeah yeah i i I totally i totally get that but it's it's still good work to do though i mean it's got and it's got to be done there's no doubt about it this may only well uh, where i'm going to mention this it would apply probably mainly to folks in the u.s but it should apply to pretty much anyone across the globe did you happen to notice what's sitting there right in front of you in that yellow yellow open face box right there in front of ghostbusters to your left, in front of Ghost, right? No, right here in between right, us. Right yeah. here, yeah. It looks like some. It almost looks like some Tupperware containers, is what it looks like. Those are pencil cases. Oh, is that what they are? So yeah, what okay. I've done the last several years are they quality pencil cases or are they flimsy pencil? No, cases? they're fair. What's the? I'd have. To, it's not rubber made. There's a. 
it's actually Sterilite. Sterilite. Yeah, Sterilite. Ever, I don't know if you've heard of Sterilite. They make I've a heard, lot of. I've heard of them, just never had anything from them. They make a lot of like plastic injected things, like like what you're looking at. A lot of storage containers. I think they make trash cans, things like that. So what I do almost every year, right after back to school hits at Walmart, I'll go and catch all this stuff on the clearance aisle. That container that's on top, Whitney, is the container that that they've carried, I don't know, for the last maybe three years. So I'll go and buy them on clearance, and then I'll use them for storage. And they stack, they interlock. It's cigar box size. I do put a lot of electronic stuff in it, a lot of pinball stuff, a lot of hobby stuff. They're consistent size, and they're very inexpensive. Okay. And this year, they actually changed the boxes to what you've got there. So there's a there's a whole case of them, and they were a quarter a piece. What I'll do is I'll end up putting probably some of like the the selection of uh, polypropylene and and uh, the film caps and the like that I had. Well, prior I didn't have a, a huge selection, so I had all my small bags in a larger bag, like about a gallon size bag. So I'll end up eventually breaking them all up and storing them in the in those boxes, labeling them, and then they'll stack on my shelves. Oh, that's that's handy. And they're easy to access. Yeah, at least you got that going for you. And they're you. dirt cheap. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just a tip to everybody. You know, another thing that you're stateside. You know, if you if you do a lot computer related, Walmart usually has like I think they're up to thirty two gig now. Jump drives, USB sticks, and they're like five bucks, and they're for students to go back to school. They're not the highest quality. But if Whitney's over here and I want to give him a file and it's a good size file or, you know, we've done this with podcast folks before here, I keep one of them in my in my laptop bag. I just take it. I, I don't care. Don't give it back to me. Yes, it was $5, but it's a lot easier and a lot quicker than, than trying to upload something to a Dropbox or, yeah. you know. So anyway, there's a, there's a tip from your pal Brent. Shop back to school uh, closeout sales for uh, storage containers for your all your pinball and, and arcade needs. <laughs> hey, if it's if it's cheap and, and the money's the money's good, the money's good. That's a, that's all that matters. So that's me. Hopefully by next month, like I said, I'll have this off my bench. And then my only updates will be I open another Pandora's box, which was that the mess that is the next next section of my shop that just needs to be gone through. <sighs> yes. All we do is clean up. And, that, and that's, that's exactly <laughs> These are all goes. my messes, though. Oh, 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 let's let's. Oh, OK, let, let's let's talk about let's talk about updates then. So on you, my side, you mentioned to me that you you wanted me to see this. Like live. Like live. So at some point, I expect you to control V a picture into the I, show notes. I have just now pasted in two pictures into the OneNote, okay? okay. So give it give it just, what, 30 seconds or so to synchronize, and then you're going to see carnage. Because this, was, this is my update for this month, all right? Let me set the stage, okay? Okay. And, and as soon as you see the picture, pictures actually pop up. Let me know. Okay, I'm, okay so I'm, I'm actually going to change to last month's notes and come back to this month's try to force it. That, that's fine. That's fine. They, they, they will get there. The, the magic that is one note will get that picture. We'll get those pictures there. I haven't seen it yet. I'm excited. Okay. So let me set the stage for this. Okay. <laughs> stage. So last month I talked about Pin Shop 2020, where I'm going through all of my pinball machines and I'm converting them all to Titan, uh, to Titan silicone bands. And I'm, I'm soon 
essentially doing a shop job on all my machines and taking the stern rubbers off of the machines. Okay. Okay. So that some games are more involved than others. And uh, I finished up Ghostbusters. That was actually very involved. And I was part of the way through Star Trek. Okay. Making my way through Star Trek. I've got a big blank spot, which means it's trying to download. Oh, it's it's coming. Just just give it a second or two. And then then I did a hard F. I did a hard refresh. I five did. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. So I was working on my Star Trek and, um, and, you know, going back and forth because as I'm finished, the way that I'm doing this is I'm pulling a couple of games out of the game room, a couple of pinball machines out of the game room. Then I put them on, on the dolly. I wheel them down the hall in my basement and into my workroom. Okay. So in, in my workroom, it's a fairly large room. I'm very fortunate that I've got it. I can easily hold two to three pinball machines in that workroom and walk around them, move around them. No problem at all. I've got that much room. I was taking two at a time. Okay. I was working on Ghostbusters and I had Star Trek staged. All right. I finished Ghostbusters, get it wrapped up, get it ready to put, you know, push back down the hallway. And then I was going to grab Iron Man or something like that and pull it back down. So anyway, so I, I, get, I get Ghostbusters done. I'm getting ready to uh, getting ready to push it up the hallway and I'm, I walk up the hallway and, and go into my game room and I'm milling about and uh, something catches my eye. Uh-oh. Okay. I don't have pictures yet. I'm, I may oh, have you don't? To, no. Oh, okay. Nope. I may have to come down there. Okay. So something catches my eye and I, and uh, at this point, Oh, oh, oh. At this, <laughs> do you see the picture now? Oh, <laughs> I see the first one and it's, Oh, it's bad. It's not pretty. <laughs> That is a great show that, title as oh. well. Okay, so let so you, let, oh. okay, so for <laughs> listeners of the show, bear with me here just a couple more minutes, is, and you're going to get it. Okay, and and I noticed that you know, Brent, and the thing is, is something something felt amiss. Okay, I, I could tell. <laughs> oh, like, you know, I walked in, and it's like something didn't feel right. And I don't know. It's it, so I'm standing there for a second or two, and I'm like, "What did I? Do? What's going on? What what in this room is not the way it's supposed to be?" Because I got that feeling, and I don't know if I caught it like light reflection out of the out, you know, like out of peripheral vision, or if I just felt the machine laughing at me as my soul was sinking to the ground once I realized what was going on. But Brent, I, I stood there for a second and did a visual over all of my machines, and then I realized what had gone on, okay? Now, I don't know how this happened, okay? <laughs> that's how, that's I how I all good stories start. Yes, yes. And, and I can't put my finger on anything that would have caused this to happen, but and people are out there screaming, going, just say it already, and, and I get that. But, you know, you got to get as much out of this as you possibly can. <laughs> and and I, I still have no no way of really knowing when this when it happened, how it happened or what caused it to happen. But, Brent, I walked over to my Tron and I swear to you, I felt like somebody had just punched me in the gut because I'm standing there at my game looking at it and the entire playfield glass has shattered into what is literally a million pieces, a million shards. This is impressive. And most of it 
actually stayed in the you know in the game okay well it was all in the yeah. game but most <laughs> of it, it stays in the game it all stayed in the game every trust once in a while it'll splash up on yeah. an explosion like that but for the most part it all lands in the game it, it, oh and trust me it landed in the game okay and it, but what i'm saying you, is m- most of it stayed in the in the side rails okay where the it was literally formed but the entire glass the entire sheet of glass and this is this was Invisiglass, which is what made it hurt oh. even worse. Okay, was completely shattered, shattered. I say, and it's okay? not like it's it's tempered safety glass, so it it'll is. it'll it'll shatter into those little shards. Oh yeah, I mean you could totally pick it all up with your hands and not cut yourself or anything like that. But it's not like something. It's not like it shattered in a corner, and no. then you had like a third or no. two thirds or no, half no, of it. No, no, shat- no, no, no. This is not slivers. I mean, this it, is piles of buckshot. Is what this, this is. is. That's crazy. So, I mean, so here's the thing. And, and it, so here's the thing. I, I don't. I'll get it. How did this happen? I, I get so emotional even looking at this picture. I want to get ahead of myself. I, I, I don't know about I, you, and I need to calm down. I know because, you, but, but about you, but I'm kind of partial to the little island of uh shattered glass that separated from the you know the continent of shattered glass as it just yeah. sets on top of that left ramp right above your left slant. I, I know, isn't it great? It's just like, hi, I'm here. Hi, I'm here. Are you gonna clean me up now? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, uh, hey, I'm just I'm coming to you from your freshly shopped game and all your mods installed. And uh yeah, guess what? I shattered on you. Ultimately though, Brent, I, I don't know again, I don't know how this happened and nothing uh, fell on it? Nothing fell on it because it was sitting out in the wide open. Okay. Now, upon further inspection of the of the shattering of the glass, I did find what I think was the inflection point where the shatter started and then it all spider webbed out from there. But but ultimately, Brent, I I have never had this happen to me in ten years in the hobby. You've never broken a glass. I've never broken a piece of glass, and I've certainly never broken a piece of glass that was installed in a game and had been sitting there perfectly for two weeks. Okay, that that's the that's the mysterious thing about this. And so I started doing some research on shattering tempered safety glass, uh-huh. specifically pinball glass and come to find out on pin side there are actually a couple of threads dedicated to this subject <laughs> that, that just shocks me in no way yeah and and i and i went fairly deep into one of the threads and i and i then taught myself or learned from reading that it, setting pinball glass on a ceramic tile mm-hmm. is a no-no okay? oh yeah uh, setting pinball glass on any of its edges okay on concrete is a no-no. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it can only be set on a soft surface, mm-hmm. preferably on its long edge, not its short edge. Short edge is still acceptable if it's a sm- if it's a soft surface or if the entirety of the of the um, of the edge is supported. Yep, that's good as well. Okay, and I also learned that um, tempered safety glass is, has a much higher propensity to shatter in your hands mm-hmm. than it would be to drop it on the ground, and it would it flat and it probably would not break. These are all of the things that I just did not you know. You weren't aware of? Mm-mm. So what, no. as I understand it... No, this was all an education to me. Like uh, like your point on tile. Yeah. Because your ceramic tile, by the nature of the tile, most tile, it has a texture to it. it highs and lows. Yep. What ends up happening in the same thing like on concrete... It's pressure points on the glass. It can create... Uh, uh, 
a, a, just a minuscule chip. Uh And that is your, that is the point where you've, you basically lost integrity to the glass. Yeah, yeah. And from that point out is where you'll, you'll, you'll spread. Yeah. It, it's essentially surface tension that breaks yep. and then it, it allows, it allows everything to go. If you, if you walk into uh, like rec bar, mm-hmm. I know we talk about them all the time. Well, the pen room in J town is concrete uh-huh. and there's a, uh, if you look in the corners, you'll see a pinball themed, Doormats, like yeah. a welcome mat, and that's what they put the glass. That's what on. the glass gets yep. stood on. Yep, fair enough. Yep. Well, I, I, so I learned. I learned a bit because the thing is, with my machines, every time I've taken a piece of glass out, it's never been on concrete. It's never been on tile. I mean, I always put it on carpet, and I guess I just never really considered. I guess I just never really considered not putting it on carpet because sitting it on something hard just seemed like a dumb thing to do. <laughs> so I just never really thought about it. I'm like, why would I ever set the glass on something that isn't padded? So I never really looked into it. But ultimately, uh, as it would as it would seem, there are a, uh, quite a few people who have experienced this specific scenario before. Some with the glass literally shattering in their hands while they hold it or they're walking with it. Um, Others, uh, you know, as they pull it out of a machine, shatters. As they put it into a machine, shatters. Um, all, all, All of this goes to say that it has taught me to treat the pinball glass with 10 times more respect and with Mm -hmm. care, because quite honestly, I was probably a little too cavalier with it, just kind of tossing it around and saying, oh, I mean, I've never had a problem. Why should I ever think about it? As long as I'm not doing nonsensical things, then the glass should be okay. Knowing that it's tempered, knowing that it's safety glass, it should be pretty tough. Well, actually, it's quite the contrary yep. in in a lot of ways. It's it's tough. It, have you ever tried? It's tough. It's tough. Kinda is what it, it is. It, it's it's tough within certain parameters. Yeah, within certain parameters and in handled in certain ways. Right. I mean, if you think about ball strikes, I mean, I have seen ball games like CSI is bad about it. And I know it's a common thing. There's a post in the left side of the orbit mm-hmm. and the timing is such in certain portions of the game where it's not uncommon for the post to actually pop up when the ball's on top of it and it'll throw the ball into the glass. Yeah. I've had it happen I don't know how many times on my game. Yeah. How many games have you ever played where you've had an air ball and it's hit the glass? Tons. I've never seen a ball break glass. Yeah, neither have I. But I've also seen people just put glass in a game and, and pow and boom. Yes, yes. So it, it's it's the weirdest thing. So what what this actually uh, forced me to do is um, number one, after questioning several life choices. Okay. <laughs> And number two, why am I into this hobby? Yeah, it, why do it, I deal with this? Seriously, I seriously, I, I when I when I first saw it, I had to walk away for a little while. Oh, I imagine. And I didn't. It, I, it probably sat there for another two days, and I did not even touch it because I was so. Was it still crackling when you first walked up to it? No, it, it, no. It, it, the crackling portion was done. The, the crackling portion was done. And Brent, I didn't even want to touch it because I had just finished putting this, well, I say just, you know, maybe what, two weeks, three weeks prior, finished putting this game back together. 
And so what I ultimately had to do was um, go ahead and pull each, pull all the glass out by hand. And then, uh, then of course, I vacuumed it numerous times and uh, with, you know, with, with a shop vac and then with a brush and then everything else. And uh, then I had to take the entire top of the play field apart and clean it and then go underneath of it. Oh, I what? Had, you did? Why? Yeah, dude, because it went every. Where? Well, I know it goes everywhere. Yeah. I was going to say, did you take the play field out and turn it upside down and shake it? Or no, you just at the point no. where I just need to take it, take the top off. I took the top off because there were, I could see pieces and parts that I couldn't get a vacuum to like yeah. underneath ramps and, oh, uh, and, and, st- yeah. and things okay. like that. And uh, underneath plastics and everything. It's like, it's like, it's pointless to, well, I surveyed it and then I realized it was pointless to do anything other than taking the whole top of the play field apart again well yeah. at least it, at least you've done it recently so you were good at Th- that's it. that's true that's true <laughs> let's look at the upside it, here yeah, Whitney. you gotta you, you, you gotta look at the bright side <laughs> yeah i am practiced on tron there's no doubt about it but then uh you know a lot of the glass got through uh you know got through all the stand-up targets it got through all of the the drop targets it got through it got down to the bottom of the game it got down into the bottom of the game. It got into the. Did uh, you shot back the, the speaker speaker basket out? Oh yeah, every, every single bit of it. Every single bit of it, multiple times, mm-hmm. probably four times, if not maybe six. I went over that entire game, top and bottom. I mean, I moved all the wiring harnesses and vacuumed it out. I pulled this. I pulled the woofer, vacuumed it out. I pulled. Um, the only thing I didn't pull was the power supply. Everything else, the wiring. I mean, I moved wiring harness from one side to the other. I had to pull the. The trunk, the the recognizer target off the bottom of the playfield. I had to pull the the, oh, the the disc motor off the bottom of the playfield and vacuum all that out. Brent, you would be surprised where I thought it's like you know what I. There's no way glass could have could have gotten in there. I, I bet that motor's good. And then I'm sitting there thinking about it, and it's like, but if there's a piece of glass in that motor, and I energize this thing, yeah. and it starts to activate, it starts to grind it, and it starts to grind it, then what's what, what's what's the bigger loss here? Is it my time or is it the motor? And I thought, actually, the motor's the bigger loss. So so I literally then just dropped everything off the bottom of the playfield and vacuumed it all out. And you know what? I'm really glad I did. I mean, I cleaned the whole thing and then put it all back together and uh i know i've seen games and you have to do that Mm because i've seen games that i i I know glass has broken in that game yep and where i'll usually your first indicator is your fixed targets Uh uh-huh it'll get down into the and it'll wedge it'll wedge itself in between the switch blades of the fixed targets you'll see it down in there i i went through uh i went through and looked at with a magnifying glass and a flashlight i looked inside every single one of the uh of the stand-up targets and the blades i looked at them from the top and from the bottom and uh even went in with a really small screwdriver and just made sure that i could work my way around through each one of those blades just to make sure nothing was wedged in um, I've got it. I've got the entire game back together. Played on it yesterday for for a few games. Now, it has literally taken. I mean, I use the word literally. I don't know a hundred times here, and I apologize for that. Um, it has taken me the entire month to get Tron back, back back from from this. Okay. So, out of curiosity, after you played a few games, did you open the playfield up and see if any glass fell out of it? Oh no, because I had turned that playfield upside down and, uh, numerous, <laughs> numerous times numerous times it's clean it's clean and, and i'm telling you it is clean because <laughs> because i did not fast track 
the teardown or putting it back together. I was very systematic about it. And if you look at this second picture, I now know how many pounds and ounces a shattered piece of Invisiglass (laughs) weighs because I emptied my shop vac into it, uh, into this bag, probably no less than four times. And it comes out, it's right at uh, just a hair over, uh, just a hair over, uh, give or take 14 and a half pounds is is what a piece of Invisiglass shattered into a bag actually winds up weighing so anyway there there is all of that uh, so when i ask myself what, what caused it i don't know the only thing that i can tell you the only thing that i can tell you is i did have the anti-rattle tape on the glass and i have used that before no problems whatsoever I, in fact i actually really like the anti-rattle tape it's it's great is it just a little bit of a space filler in the mm-hmm. it, it is yeah and it just it just keeps the sub from from yeah, you know, from oh, knocking, yeah knocking yeah. on the glass and everything it keeps what it does is it keeps the entire cabinet from rattling mm-hmm. and so it's it's very good i love it but can i can i pin it on that i don't know did i put the glass in crooked i don't see how did you I, chip it when you sat it down it, it, Anything is possible, but I have learned a lesson that I will ha- that I'll have to carry with me because I don't know if you can call it a rite of passage. Maybe you can call it Whitney. You're just dumb. I, I it, it doesn't matter. Call it what you wish, but I paid I paid a price and <laughs> and I've I've learned a lesson. And again, I don't know how it happened because uh, I never heard it. I never heard the 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 pop. I never heard the inflection point. Nothing was ever dropped on it. I, I can guarantee to you nothing was dropped on it because the game was just sitting here brent it, it's it's like you walk down here and you look at your ghostbusters and it shattered and it's like well what caused it because nothing fell from above nothing hit it not, there there was nothing it was just sitting there and it shattered so what i've heard from people over time is this is very similar stories and, and oh you have yeah for non-pinball people for video game people keep this in mind too if you've got a glass bezel in a game, it's tempered glass. If you oh, yeah. have a glass marquee, it's tempered glass. Uh-huh. Pinball people, if you've got a glass back glass, it's tempered glass. It's tempered glass, yeah. And the same thing can happen. Yeah. And, you know, for example, the uh, centipede I have here around the corner, I got it from someone local years ago. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I was in this house, so it's within, been within the past decade. Yeah. It's probably about eight eight years ago, maybe nine years ago at this point. And I think now the, the bezels are reproduced. At the time, I maybe, maybe I'm thinking of Moon Patrol. Moon Patrol. I know Moon Patrol has a weird gradient in it, uh-huh. and it was one of the things that kept it, it slowed the reproduction process because someone had to sit down and actually reproduce the gradient. Yeah, it v- seems ve- vectorize the gradient. Yeah, yeah. It seems like I can't remember if Centipede was that way, but there was something about at the time Centipede glass wasn't really obtainable. Okay, okay. Like it, not like you know, come forward almost 10 years. Yeah. I'd, I'd agreed to buy the game. The person I bought the game from was, had the bezel out of it. And you know, the game was originally set up with a millipede board in it to play millipede and centipede oh, yeah, and it nice. had an adapter in it. Yeah. Nice. And it was just a matter of, Hey, look, 
I knew I knew he was going to unconvert it. He was going to put centipede back in it. I can't remember why he had yeah. the bezel out of it. Those millipede boards are pricey, man. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. They are to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have, just to have, let alone you need it to do the multipede. Exactly. Exactly. Because they're ten times. They feel like they're ten times more valuable than a centipede. Board. Well, they're not. A, there's supposed to be a bajillion centipedes. Yeah. Not very many millipedes. Not, not very many millipedes. But he had. He said, "Man, I don't know what happened. I had the bezel in my hand." Uh huh. And I turned my head and kind of had the bezel. I'm, I'm turning from the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. But you know, kind of like he he he's holding it and he kind of like shifts a direction and the bezel's like off to his side. Uh-huh. And he said, all of a sudden, it was just like it evaporated. It just shattered. It right just there. shattered in my hands. Yeah. And I, I've heard of it happening in games and pinballs, and people attribute it to like temperature change. Uh huh. And uh, I'm thinking you've got to have a catalyst. Like you've already got a chip. It had something happened. Something, something happened. It and then had it had to. It but, had to. I, I don't know. It, but one thing I do want to say, and then then we got to get into get yeah. into the mailbag here. I put a note in here for you. Pinball life. Actually, you say it. Then I'll say I got one more addition to help people out. Go ahead. Oh, say fair, fair, fair enough. Thank you. Um, I do want to give a shout out though to Jersey Jack Pinball because I called their customer service department and I talked um, I, I talked with someone there because th- that's who I bought the Invisiglass from originally. Mm-hmm. And I sent them these pictures and I said, hey, listen, it's been a couple years since I've bought this Invisiglass, so I'm not asking you for anything. I just want to know, have you had any reports of anybody else's glass shattering that maybe came that maybe purchased it came out of um you know the the order that i had or that i was shipped from a similar lot or you know, similar lot or have you had any reports of this and they said no they, they responded back and they said no we, we really haven't and they went back and pulled the invoice and they said listen it's it's horrible to have that happen to anybody if you want another piece of invisible ass we'll deeply discount and i'm not going to quote numbers yeah we'll deeply discount you another sheet of glass to get you to, to make you whole and I and, and I, I you know I responded back and I said thank you I mean you didn't have to do that I really appreciate that and uh, and so they're they're, they're going to give me another sheet of invisible ass oh that's so, cool so it so it it's going to cost me uh, it's going to cost me a little bit out of pocket but nothing like buying a whole nother sheet of glass and um, again I, I I don't know, man. I, I I just I mean I walked upstairs and Jackie looked at me and she was she was like, "What's wrong?" I mean, your what's your face? What's up? And I'm like, I, "You just come on downstairs. I got to show you this." Uh. And uh, and Grace walked in and she was like, "Oh!" <laughs> She's like, "I didn't do it. I promise." And I'm like, "I'm like, no, honey. I know." I, I said, "Did you hear this pop? Did you hear anything?" Because her room is right next to the game room now. Her her room downstairs. She moved downstairs. I'm like, "Did you hear a pop? Did you hear a crack? Did you hear anything? Anything it surprise that would have done this?" Have you heard freshly broken safety glass? It crackles. Like I said, oh yes, it th- it's still under some pressure, yeah. and it's still yeah. Oh, yeah it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if it just went. Uh huh. And that was the end of and it. And that was the end yeah. of it. Yeah. So here we go. So I threw a link in. in, in that's the show my notes. Month, that's my month, Brent. I threw a link into the show notes from Pinball Life and their little corner protectors. Ooh, I think yes. Phoebe Smith was who told me about this. Oh yeah, I'm looking so at these now. They're just little tri- little triangular wedges with an open side, and the intention is is like when you slide the glass out, if you you can even have i guess in the palm of your hands and just stick them over the corners yep slide the glass out and then it's little cushions that keeps that edge off the ground when you set it down yeah yep i've seen people do this with pool noodles 
Yeah. They'll take a pool noodle. You know, Sli- and slice it? Yeah, you'll, yeah. You can get a pool noodle with a hole in it, so they'll put a slice in it. If you go into the plumbing section of a hardware store, you can get pipe that... Um, kind of charcoal gray, if not black foam pipe insulation, Yeah, you, it comes split and you put it over like copper pipe to insulate it, especially like on the, on the hot side. I've seen people do it with that, get a piece of that and slide it over it and give you a little cushion. And if you want these little handy dandy little corner protectors, I bet there's a still out there. You can 3d print them. Honestly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I bet you. if we got on Thingiverse, we'd find, we'd find them like right now. So well, I'm sorry, Whitney. Oops. Hey, well, I appreciate I appreciate it, but it, there there was a, there was a lesson in there somehow. I, again, I don't know what I I don't know what I did if I did, but ultimately, uh, you did something. Uh, this is karma. It's it's karma <laughs> getting me back. You know, the universe the universe always equals itself out. So you'll, you'll be in bed tonight, and you'll remember some some wild, terrible thing you did in grade school, uh-huh. like. Like, I don't know, put a frog down somebody's Somebody's jacket or something. Who knows? Yeah. And that's why. And that's why the glass busted. I think that was was an our gang joke, wasn't it? That was a a dated reference. It it was, but still, still, still good on its own, though. Well, Whitney, it looks like it's time. We've discussed the woes of your pinball collection as of late. It's time. The glass breaking, yes. It's time to finally... Open the old mailbag. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It, this it is, is a big day for all of it, us. It is. There's there is quite a good bit of content here. So. I, are we clear? You know, we we didn't ask. Are we clear to mention names? Sure. Why not? Jeremy I flights. Mean, there you go. Writes us. And yeah. Says, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it gives a per, it gives a personal feel to the to the uh, to the feedback. How about Hold that? on. Wait a minute. Let me, let me get out my phone. Jeremy flights who can be contacted at. <laughs> <laughs> five, <laughs> I bet Jeremy wouldn't mind. Well, I don't know. Maybe he would. <laughs> Good, because I'll blame you. <laughs> All right. So Jeremy writes, I was just listening to episode 89 again. Why, why would he go back in time and listen again? I mean, I know, it's, I know, a, it's a recurring thing. I know people like us, but I mean, that's... Hey, I just that's agree. a level of obsession that I, I guess I'm on board with, yeah, Jeremy. Hey, it's all good, yeah. man. Thank you, Jeremy. So I'm listening to episode 89 again, and I wanted to say thanks on behalf of all the listeners for putting on uh, Broken Token, 89 episodes. Well... Um, we appreciate that, Jeremy. It is, you know, I'm just a little bit behind the curtain earlier in, in the, in the segment where I was talking about, well, Whitney and I both were talking about just the footwork and, and keeping the files for the episode straight yeah. imagine everything else that goes on. So it's a, it's a handful, but. I guess at the end of the day, I, I guess we enjoy it. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. Is that more of a statement yeah. or a question? I'm not sure. <laughs> it, de- it depends upon what, what task we have in front of us. Whitney, I really appreciated your COVID announcement at the beginning of the last podcast. And looking back, you were spot on. When LAX 2020 happened, there was a whiff of COVID, but the pandemic itself hadn't reached our life yet. Looking back, I'm not sure how to explain it other than wow. I guess, I guess the recap there is, is at least for us, the last major event that either of us attended was LAX 2020. It was like that next Monday. You know, there was mm-hmm. whispers of this thing coming and happening. And that next Monday is when all world, the whole world seemed, Just at least the U S went into, went into lockdown, mode. went into lockdown mode. Yeah. So I look forward to the new norm. Uh, I from cheers. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. That norm. Yeah. <laughs> parents, uh, kids ask your parents. <laughs> That's another day. It's two dated references mm-hmm. for me in minutes. I look forward to the new norm and hope to see the arcade and pinball community continue to grow. At least podcasts like BT allow for us arcade guys to keep some sort of connection while being social distant. Stay safe and hope your families are doing well. Jeremy. Oh, and Brent, it is so awesome to have someone like you that does uh, board work and have parts on hand so that I don't have to wait for a GO7 with coil to ship. <laughs> uh, he, does, he does have a point. The, the with coils are expensive. So and, yeah. I, I should have read that ahead because I think that just opened the door for like invitation. Brent, do you have a such and such? I could. <laughs> Jeremy was working on games for uh, Expo. Oh, gotcha. And as often happens amongst the, the local community, I'm sure even in the community wherever you're from, when when the rubber meets the road and, and you know somebody needs a part, you, you can call around and generally you can find it. And people, people we take care of each yep, other. Yep. So yep. people tries to help out, man, which is all good. But no, that was that was very kind. I mean, I, I appreciated I appreciated Jeremy you writing in and uh, and, and getting that to us. I, I regret that didn't reply personally, but we wanted he doesn't to, regret we, Jeremy. We I wanted to lead eyes. off with it. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't care. <laughs> That's why we do the mailbag show. How about that? All right. Next one up is from Jonathan Turner, and this came in from uh, the contact form on the website, and uh, he writes in. And he says, "Oh, oh, oh I, I didn't mention that Jer- Jeremy sent in his via." Carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. Yes. 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 Okay. Go ahead. They, they just had. They just hadn't been shot yet. No. Correct? No. No. Yeah. I, it took me a bit. It was. He. He was. He was a shifty little dude. Yeah. It took a. I got him though. All right. Go ahead. I have to get the gun. Have to get the <laughs> shotgun sounds out again. Uh, and John, Jonathan writes in, uh, hi, Brent and Whitney, as if I don't have enough to do and you guys go and release another four, four hour plus podcast in all seriousness though, thanks for doing what you guys do for the hobby. As someone relatively new to arcade game collecting, watching with amazement for one year, looking with interest for one year, buying everything I can see arcade related for one year. And it goes on. I'm still in the absorption of information stage. That nope. never that never ends. It, it, ne- it never ends. It, it's it's a continual learning cycle, yeah, which is. is what I love about this hobby. You you just you exercise the mind. It's great. Your podcast is especially good for me with the level of detail that you go into uh, in that you go into in your technical talk and tips sections. So thank you for that. I am currently working my way back through the through the episodes and have just passed last year's Thanksgiving podcast. I have a nice eight-hour round trip to pick up a game on Sunday, so I'm sure I'll be at Halloween 2016 by the time I'm back. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't date feedback. I don't, if that doesn't date feedback, I don't know what does. The Skyskipper reveal at the Arcade Club was just a fantastic event and weekend. It was great to meet you, and thanks for taking time to speak with me about the project. You really did some time on that stage talking with everybody, and I'm sure everyone appreciated it. Hope you get a chance to sign up to the UK VAC forum soon. Sure, everyone would love to see you guys in there trading tips with us UK VACers. So, Jonathan, thank you for the kind words. The privilege was mine, and I have so thoroughly enjoyed the friendships that I've made with all the folks over in the UK. So it was it was fun. Um, life-changing event, actually. And I did get signed up on UK VAC, so I'm good. 
Uh, Jonathan goes on to say, I've recently joined the Claw Forum in search of uh, info on my long-term project, Nichibutsu's Moon Alien. I briefly mentioned it in the car journey to the arcade club. Jonathan, I do remember that for sure. The cap has no side art, and all I can find is a small image on, on a flyer, so it looks like the art will have to be redone at some point. I'm praying that I can find someone who has the upright cabinet with all the art hiding away somewhere. My question to you guys and listeners, if this applies, is have you ever had to get a piece of artwork reproduced from virtually nothing before? Side art, marquee, bezel, does anyone know or have used someone to commission this type of thing? Anyway, I'll have a thread up on Clove soon, but you can see my current state on UK VAC, and he, he gives the, the link, and I'll include that in the show notes if you're interested. Sorry it's a long mail. Keeping my 10 pence clean and gaming on, John. So, John, to your question about the side art, uh, recreating side art from from eye or copying from a drawing uh, is is a skill that I think some folks have probably most people don't and it is something that uh that would have to be commissioned if you don't have the if you don't have the skills and the tools like photoshop or illustrator to do it yourself ultimately the best luck that i've had over time is working with uh someone like rich from this old game or darren from phoenix arcade uh, of course ollie over over in the uk at the arcade art shop and really just uh, you have to get on their calendar and you have to get on their time and see if they will take it in or if you could find somebody to do the Photoshop or the Illustrator work on your behalf and then getting it to Ollie or Rich or Darren or somebody along those lines for reproduction, then that's going to be your shortest path. But outside of developing the skills yourself, uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, you, you are going to have to commission somebody. Now, I don't really know of a pool of artists across the community that do this type of commission work i'm sure if you posted on uk vacker clove you'd find you would find somebody who might be willing but you'd want to check references and and things like that um saying that now i i know that there are you know something there are a couple people like maybe joe zabo or somebody along those lines i know he's real active on facebook he may actually do commission work like that you just may want to check with him so I've never heard of this game, which is not unusual because the, there are tons of. I, I've oh got yeah, a, there's tons of games yeah. that I haven't heard of or played. Yeah, tons. I've got a game out in the building that I, I've talked about on the show before. The artwork on the side of it looks like a direct ripoff from the um, the Battlestar Galactica type ships from uh-huh. the original series back the, the, in I guess the seventies. Are you talking like the Vipers or the Cylon or the, the Cylons? The, the, the both. It's got like oh, the it's, Vi- it's like Vipers and like the Cylon disc like ships. The, the discs, yeah. And it's a it's got like a it's a real narrow, almost like tall cabaret. Yeah. With a thirteen inch black and white. I've never even booted it. Huh. But um, <laughs> so I, I'm looking at this game and, and I so I Googled it. Nick and Bishu Moon Alien. I clicked images and one, two, three, four, eight, nine, ten, eleven in is one on UK VAC and it is posted by John Tron. Well, so I'm sure that's his. I, I'm sure that's his. And and since this feedback came in, I'm sure that he's probably made some progress on that. I, I do I do need to follow up with him though and just and just see. So John, sorry it took a while to get your your feedback read, but we got your feedback read. This looks like a mix between the game looks kind of cool. I have to try to find this in Mame. It looks kind of like Galaxian, but it's got an energy bar at the bottom, almost like Scramble. And I, I 
I was going to say it, it, it may be like a half step between Galaxian and Galaga, just looking at the, the graphics. I mean, it looks kind of cool. The cabinet's kind of a neat shape, too. Yeah, it, it does look cool, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it almost looks like, um, yeah, you're right, Galaxian or Galaga, or maybe like Astro Fighter or even... Uh, or even something like Mega Mania on the on the Atari mm-hmm. twenty six hundred with like the energy bar. So I, I, yeah, I've, ne- I've never played this. Yeah, John, I'd be really interested to know where you're at with this today. And just looking, at, and it's even I've only gotten through the first page of your original post, and this post looks like it was back in September of twenty seventeen, where it kind of got started on uh, UK Vac. See where you're pulling some of the paint off, and it looks like. The cabinet was originally white, but your cabinet, I don't know if it was laminated because it's got like a, a black front and a wood grain or if there was multiple cabinet types or or nonetheless, I'd just be kind of interested if you found a, at least a reference for the art because from what I'm seeing, the, the, you've got the flyer, which isn't high DPI and it's kind of at an angle. And it, the, the side art is very Galaxian. Yeah. Very Galaxian. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, yeah. I'd love to hear where this is at right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to reach out to Jonathan and see, see where that's at. Okay, cool. Yeah, very cool. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate so, it. So the next one we have is from a uh, friend of the show, Brad Hunter. Yep. And his came in via light. His, this came, this uh, contact came in via light rail of all things. <laughs> oh, did it really? Yeah, it did. It was, okay, cool. Well, hold on. Wait, I gotta, because <laughs> I can't see, I've changed the zoom on my browser. Uh, okay. What tool, Brad writes, what, What's a tool you own now, but took you way too long to finally get? For me, it was a desoldering iron and a proper crimper. Mm-hmm. He was he says I was using needle nose pliers to repin connectors when I was in high school. Well, I've done that in a pinch, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Man, it, I don't know, Whitney. Do you have a do you have an answer to this? I mean, I don't think I have a recent. Oh no, I do. I guess if you count this as a tool, um, my ultrasonic cleaner. Fair enough. And, and it, it's like, I, I, I'm looking for stuff to put in that thing now. Yeah. I, the first time I used that, I, I looked at it and I was like, why have I not yeah. used this? Yeah. And if you listen to the show, you've listened to the show for a long time. I, I know, noted that I had it for months before I ever took it out of the box. It said, it said in a box underneath my high speed. And I, I mean, to me, that counts as a tool. It, can, it counts as a tool like my vibra, my vibratory tumbler counts as a tool that I use to clean pinball hardware, just like my desoldering iron counts. And all. But that, that was something I looked at. The first thing I thought is maybe I should buy a bigger one of these. I mean, that bang for the buck, that thing has been awesome yeah i haven't gotten one yet but i I definitely want to get one there's there's no doubt and i've been eyeing them on ebay for quite a while but once i realized that i was going to be running a shop vac and taking my tron apart again everything else just kind of backseated for for the past (laughs) month but i do have it on i've got one sitting in my watch list on ebay right now um for me i'm going to say that it is likely a it's likely a good toolbox in a good multimeter because when I started, I went with a nine to ten dollar Harbor Freight special that didn't seem like it really. Um, 
it seemed like it did a good enough job, but then once you get a really good multimeter, you yeah. don't want to go back to a $10 multimeter at all. So I, I guess the Brad, the best way for me to answer this is, um, I, I started when I started in the hobby, I economized and then I realized that economizing wasn't saving me any money whatsoever. So ultimately, I've just had to save up as I go and upgrade the tools. But yeah, cheap multimeter. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't skimp on on a multimeter at all. Okay, next one is from listener uh, Brandon, and he writes in via email and he says, "Greetings, broken tokens." It's great to have you back and fun to, and fun to listen to your Southern banter again. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. Brandon. I, I, re, I really I, do apologize. I, I laugh because uh, I, I had to explain to somebody today what druther means. Uh-huh. Oh, what, oh, did you? Yeah. You know what druther means? Yeah. It, it means if I had my, if I had my choice, I'd rather, I'd rather do the alternate thing. Right. But I'd, yeah. I'd rather do this. I'd rather yeah. do this. Yes. So, oh, this is so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly where this, where this is at. I actually had to, I, actually had that conversation today oh okay so i use i use that southern term then said wait a minute yeah i bet you don't know what that means (laughs) exactly Anyway, anyway go ahead he goes i'm also so excited that whitney is diving into the dreamcast arena full force i too had been considering getting a gdmu various other hobbies in life just seem to pull me away from digging in so i'll be looking forward to hearing what your research yields and i will give an update on the dreamcast uh on the dreamcast topic on next month's show for sure You probably already know this, but there is also another GD-ROM replacement option called USB GD-ROM. I think it's the same principles as the GD-EMU, but instead of an SD card, this uses USB thumb drives. Don't know which is the better route, but just throwing that out as another option. A while back, I was blessed with a Ghostbusters LE. And oh, before we go into that, Brendan, thanks for that. Um, I I actually have committed to going the GDEMU route, but there's a, there's actually another option that that will use um, hard drives as well. well. So like a SATA connected hard drive. So that's an option too. So I was thinking about and this is uh, my thought was is why why would you want something other than the GDMU which just uses an SD card? Yeah. Because you could put all the games on there, but you really can't. No, you can't. Because they're they're disk based. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah. You would. I mean, I, I don't even know if a terabyte SD card could hold it, it all. Would yep. hold the entire library. So there there is some merit on going with something bigger. Yep. But ultimately, I, I think I'm committed to the to, to the GDMU because I don't know that I want the entire library. I I just want like a collection of fun games. So. So Brendan goes on and he says, a while back, I was blessed with a Ghostbusters LE. It's been the only pinball machine my wife really wanted. So of course I had to comply. Happy wife is happy life. And so that much is true. Last podcast, you mentioned service bulletins for Ghostbusters. I'm a bit embarrassed that I wasn't aware that Stern posted those. So thank you very much for sharing that bit of info, printed them all out and put them on my to-do list. So I guess an LE, that would have been first off the line. So Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have even had like 
our premiums didn't, it wouldn't even have had the protector for the flasher over mm-hmm. by the library. No, it wouldn't no. have had any of that. No, and that's the danger. I mean, as much as I love VLEs because they get the special artwork, they get the special armor, they get all the treatment. Your, your version 1.0. Your version 1.0 of the game. So in my mind, if you want the most reliable version of the game, you buy a premium late run is what, is what you do after they after they iron out all the bugs. But anyway, that's uh, another topic. So, you know, Brandon, there. If, if you go back to our episodes, you, you can find them on the website. I'm sure if you put in Ghostbusters oh, yeah, yeah. or if you, you look yeah. at, you can search, you find the date you know, roughly a couple months after the release of Ghostbusters when we took delivery of our machines. Yeah. We have quite a bit of conversation about like the Slimer mech. Uh-huh. And what what I'm trying to remember because this was so long ago. I I took the mech completely out of the machine. Yeah. And what I ended up doing was I used slightly longer screws, if I recall correctly, on the back side of the mech so that I could tilt it. And what that ended up doing is, is the 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 shaft or the stalk that Slimer hangs from, it it moved it up away from the playfield and closer to the underside of the glass. So in effect, it raised Slimer up. And the intention here was to keep Slimer from hitting his bottom yeah. on that metal bracket and then dragging yeah and dragging to the right as he kind of came back and and nestled himself and parked up over the city sculpt yep so i i did two things i think you did the same thing whitney i wound up doing the both both of those to mine as well you added spacers on the back side of the bracket so that it via via wash and some yeah via washers and Uh a slightly longer screw yep and then on the top of that stalk, the, the Slimer, there's like a set screw, if I recall, and Slimer will come off of it. And I, I put a couple, I think they were quarter inch ID inside diameter washers down on the little nub that was there to give him just a little bit more space. And now he perfectly clears. Yeah. Yeah. yeah same, same for me. And it took a few tries to get it right. But, yeah. But yeah, oh, ulti- yeah. Ultimately it did work out. And then, so. yeah, he can, he, you can still hit him. He still has full travel, but he doesn't drag on anything as he gets as through his sweep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Through his travel. So no worked out. And then all of the service bulletins of which there were several for ghostbusters. Yeah. So Brendan, glad, glad you, glad you got those. Hope you got, uh, got all that sorted uh brendan goes on to write and he says so i came across a couple things that you find gents may be interested in i don't know if you also are into movie posters but i have a few of those in our media room and on pluto tv they currently have the movie called 24 by 36 a movie about movie posters i had no idea this existed i'm gonna have to go watch this after watching this i've gotten a new appreciation for movie posters especially the older ones as the movie pointed out Most modern posters use the same type of floating head or standard actor poses for the camera, which is very different from illustrated movie posters from the past. I don't know how long Pluto TV keeps on-demand movies around, but right now that appears to be the only place where this is free to watch. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to go look. I have to look this up. That's a, that's a call back to. It, there it we is. go. It is. I mentioned this movie because I did some digging into fan artist posters and happened to come across something I know you will like. 
check out these limited edition prints. He gives the link, and we'll put it in the show notes. He goes, not cheap, but good art usually isn't. I'll order one of those, and I'll let you know what I think of it when it does finally arrive. <laughs> now, these are cool. Have you seen oh, me? yeah, yeah. You bring up... Yeah, I you, mean, it's Donkey Kong for whatever it, that's worth, but whatever. But, it, but <laughs> it's awesome, it, okay? Yeah, you, you, you've got to check these out in the, in the show notes. To me, this, this looks very apocalyptic oh yeah style yeah. movie yeah of like the the girders in the background and you can see paul shadows of the outline of pauline and, and donkey, donkey kong, kong. Oh, he yeah. looks mad and oh it's, yeah it's like mario and he's ready to take the world that is really yeah. cool and, and the old the, the flaming old barrel is like right in the foreground and yep. mario's got his hammer and it almost looks like ten, uh, quentin tarantino's take on on what a donkey kong movie poster would be but i don't want to uh it, this was done by uh, Russ Moore, so I, I don't. I'm not implying that Russ and, and Quentin style would be the same if they were in the same. You're, you're just trying to describe. I'm just trying to visually a, describe a, it. A, yeah, a, you're just trying to describe something visual in an audio medium. Exactly, yep. and, and it's it is so hard to do. But uh, Brendan, thank you. The, and they're fifty dollars a piece, and quite honestly, I kind of dig it. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. He goes and finally. In my YouTube travels, listening to tunes while I'm working, I came across a Parisian gal who calls herself DJ Lady Style. She put together a retro video game medley that you might enjoy, and he gives a link to that, so we'll put that in the show notes. I have not watched DJ Lady Style yet, but uh, you know she, she's on YouTube. And he says, look forward to the next episode, P.S., he goes, if you have a backlog of content for the podcast, perhaps a bi-weekly instead of a monthly. I'm like, eh, sorry, Brandon, that's not happening. So, <laughs> Brent, you're not the only one to ask that. Oh yes, and, oh yes. Um, sorry, yeah, <laughs> not not happening. We we really appreciate the the thought. You know, mm -hmm. it's even been brought up. Take our our regular show and cut it in half. Yeah, I, I don't. I man, I'll tell you. Between, uh, I know we've talked about this a few times, but between professional obligations, career family and everything else you get broken token once a month and you get broken token <laughs> once a month that, that's you, how that's now how you goes. get a lot of it now you do get a lot of broken token once a month and that's that that's it so and he goes ps ps2 my random number for the lit frame contest is 747 <laughs> okay brendan you got that in no problem we got you down got you locked and, in and he goes shoot one more thing Here's a quick comparison I found between GDEMU and the USB GD-ROM. Don't know how current it is, but he said, here's the link. Thanks, Brendan. So that's... That's it. I mean, that's, I mean so that's something to, to take a look at. It's, yeah, it is. Um, I'm... You know, it's. I so want to mess with my Dreamcast again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I want. I to keep get, making. Yeah, I want to get into it as well. I do. It, it, I mentioned the last show that that I, I, I want to dig through my um my collection, and I'm making air quotes here of C64 stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and that's been... I've, I want a C64. I've wanted to do that for a while and dig yeah. out my Tori stuff and go through all of that. And I take what's re revitalized that is, is Rob O'Hare coming back with Sprite Castle. And then, of course, you've got my Dreamcast. Yeah. Which is right... I mean, it's right there, Whitney. I'm yeah. pointing at it. I, I know. I can see it. I know. It. I saw it when I walked down the, yeah. when I walked down the steps. 
So, so mm, it, it, it'll get some time. It'll get some time. It'll get there. It'll get there. Um, Brent, I'm going to go ahead and read this next one, if you don't mind. This is from uh, listener Joe Zinkus. So friend of the show, Joe. So in a big shout out to Joe, because yep. he, he contacts us. He writes to us quite often. And, and I'll go ahead and apologize right now, Joe. If I've got anything sitting in my inbox from you, I, I was just telling Whitney, I, I've been so absorbed in myself and doing stuff around here. I have not looked at my broken token email in for so long. I don't even remember when. And as a matter of fact, I tried to do it here recently, like within last week, and I don't even remember the password. Oh, we'll have so to get you sorted for out. For Joe and anybody else out there, I'm not intentionally neglecting you specifically. I'm neglecting a lot of people yeah. <laughs> accidentally. It, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I understand. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Joe, Joe is in a category all to his own. I mean, he has written in so many times over the years and we featured some of his feedback. Okay. We, we have, I mean, I've gone back and looked at, looked at it and did a search through all of our show notes and we have featured some of Joe's feedback, but nowhere near from a, from a, from a total amount ver what it, total amount of what he's sit in versus what we have acknowledged on air. It's a dis it's disproportionate to each other and that's on us. And Joe, we apologize. I mean, individually we need to do better by you for sure. Um, well, I, just looking through this, Whitney, I think a lot of this applies to me. If you want, I can go ahead and at least take you, the first section yeah, of this. Yeah. Why, why, why don't you do that? But uh, Joe, we, we did want to acknowledge that we appreciate you hanging with us and giving us play by play on the episodes and everything. We will definitely, we'll definitely try to be a little bit more John on the spot when it comes to that oh and yeah. for for everyone's reference joe's contact came in via zip line oh via zip line yes, yeah, yes. yeah okay fair enough so uh i have spoken a few times on the show uh and i've brought it back up here recently in fact uh, about rc cars and then you know joe's got a topic here rc remote control cars and joe says i was deep into the hobby as a kid my dad had a co-worker that sold him a frog so for those that aren't in the know, a frog is a, a car by uh, Tamiya, and it's, um, it's not an entry-level entry car, but it's maybe second or close to third tier. It, it's, a, it, it, it's a fun little car. It's not like a car that you're going to go race, but it's, uh, it, the, the level of ability and skill to build it is a, a step above a more entry level vehicle. So, uh, I actually, I've, I've just built two frogs as part of my, you know, my lockdown adventure. So, yeah. so I've got pr two brand new, fresh built frogs upstairs in my lineup. Anyway, and I uh, remember being disappointed at how slow it was <laughs> because the stock, uh, Mabuchi 360 motor it had. Now, you might be thinking of a grasshopper because I'm pretty sure the frog came with a 540. So what these are is that's that's kind of a standard size for these electric motors that go in these RC cars. And and at that over time, what a 540 is and a 360, it's kind of muted mutated a little bit. But 360 is smaller than the 540. But I I've I thought all the frogs come with a 540, but then again, 
man, how many years ago was that, Whitney? That I, was the eighties. Yeah, it's it's a long. It's I don't remember. Yeah, a long time May. ago. But, <laughs> so. Well, he mentions the five forty a little later on. So, uh, let's see. I remember him being this one because he's hobby as a kid. My dad had a co. Well, maybe his dad's coworker changed the motor out. That could have also happened. That that's a hot. That's a strong possibility. Oh. I wonder if he changed the 360 out and kept it, kept the bigger motor in another car. So yeah, that could have happened if he bought it secondhand for sure. Anyway, literally had the uh, neighbors with a Tyco turbo hopper bought at Toys R Us that were running circles around me. Did you ever have a turbo hopper, Whitney? No, I did not. Those were, those were, I, like, I never, I never had remote control. Cars. Oh, you didn't? No. Man, you missed out. No, dude, I was milking cows. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Turbo hoppers were, um, they were like the so pseudo upper end of the toy grade cars. You could go right into a Toys R Us or a Children's Palace, and they were built ready to run. They ran on a nine point six volt battery, and uh, they were fun little cars. But they they weren't a hobby grade car like the Frog and the other stuff. Anyway, uh, I had one friend that had that tried putting a five forty from the Hornet. So it sounded like there was a little motor, little motor changing going on, but it ate up the gear case because it wasn't designed to go that fast. So yeah, that was a problem when you, those entry level cars, the Hornets and the Grasshopper, and then even the Frog, you could only do so much. And the, the Frogs were really good about, and if you want to say this, they were really good about the, the gear case separating and all kinds of carnage happening. So but you could go to the hobby store and buy these parts. That was the cool yeah, thing. I mean, that's the cool thing. If it blows up, who cares? You could go wrench on it. Yeah. yeah. So ended up giving it back and we went to the hobby shop to buy to me a hot shot too. Oh, there, there. Now he just went into to me a Cadillac land right there with a hot shot too. Uh, when my dad went in, he went all, what's the best car uh, you have, which of course are going to sell him the most expensive four wheel drive car. I still have a video of it back from 1986. You know, that's one thing. Uh, you know, I, I'm the king of side stories here. We never had, uh, I, I don't think you did either, just from knowing you, Whitney. You, you all never had an early video camera, did you? Neither did we. I had several friends that did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their childhood and birthday parties and Christmases are forever, you know, uh, kept on VHS tape stuck in the back of a closet. But no, I, I didn't no, never had that we, stuff. We never, we never had that. That'd be cool to have that. Joe, if that's on YouTube, if you share that with the world, let me know. <laughs> I'd love to see that. I kept up with a hobby for a while, eventually getting a Team Losi JRX2. So now he's probably getting it. Now, now he's getting into the competitor type cars. Uh, probably one of the first competitors, these associated RC10. So yeah, that's the RC10 was like the hot car to have. It was um, the adopted car for for racers. It was easily customizable and really competitive. And then the Losi equivalent was that JRX series cars. So anyway, Joe uh, goes on to say, got into asphalt racing for a, for a short time, HP, uh, an HPI RS4. So, Joe, I happen to have a couple uh, RS4s upstairs. <laughs> I've got like a pro... I've got a pro one and a pro three and I got those in a lot with uh, some other cars. And honestly, what I was going to do is I wanted, I was after the RC 10 that was in the group and I was after the Emacs, the 
uh, early Emacs that was in the group. And I got looking at these and I don't have any road cars. So these are, these are like drift road, road style cars. Joe mentioned he got it asphalt racing and I don't know, maybe about six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I gave them both a really good hard look over. And there's a gentleman who is out of Washington state that I've bought a lot of parts from. He buys out and has bought out old hobby shop supplies. And I made a list of all the pieces I need needed. And through him and a couple other sellers on eBay, I basically got everything I needed to to revitalize these two road cars. So there, uh, my two RS fours are on my to-do list <laughs> somewhere around oh, the Dreamcast. Oh, that's nice. You know? So yeah, hopefully someday, Joe, I'll have some RS four love to, to send your way. But so anyway, yeah, he said, but I gave up on it because it was so hard to get them to not slide. So that's the thing with these cars. It's that drifting RC cars is a whole subgenre. Uh, of this hobby. And I've seen people, I've seen videos of like Japanese racers, Whitney, they'll put like van chassis. I've seen a race. that was nothing. It looked like UPS and FedEx vans. Oh, that's awesome. They're out there sideways rubbing and racing. It's, it's the wildest thing. So anyway, Joe says, I tried to get back in them last year by buying use a used rolling chassis off eBay and buying the uh, electronics from hobby King but there was no instructions for wiring up the motor, nor uh, could Google help me. I'm still considering buying a ready-to-run assembled kit from GearBest. Some uh, uh, some of them have decent brushless motors. And so my only my only caution there is when you're looking when you're looking at GearBest, that's kind of like almost not not quite like Wish.com level air quotes stuff. Um, but you're getting into those, I don't know, made in bulk, ready to run. Uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this without it sounding terrible, but there's a lot of stuff that you'll find like on GearBest That's going to be either clones or copies of stuff that come from first tier manufacturers and your, your support pipeline isn't necessarily there. Okay. And and I I guess where I'm going is, is a lot of that stuff is just a knockoff. Okay. Some of it's pretty good because there's a couple of them. Uh, WL toys makes some pretty good models that people really enjoy. And and the part support is actually there. Uh, If I recall correctly, WL is the company that makes a couple knockoffs of some of the Tamiya trucks and there's whole forums on people that, that look at, look and look at those and, and, and build those, those vehicles up. But man, if you're looking to buy ready to run, you can get, you can get some nice Traxxas stuff. You you can't get hurt with the Traxxas stuff. The support is there. Most every, you can almost go into any grocery store and find Traxxas parts. It, it it's a safe way to get back in if you're wanting something that'll just come out of the box and it'll run, it'll run well and it's really durable. Um, there, there's a, there's several other companies out there. Uh, red cat racing is another that comes to mind that they're not quite Traxxas level in terms of market penetration, but ready to run, get it out of the box, fair support, but I, I know even the local hobby stores around here, I can walk into any one of them and there's a whole wall of Traxxas parts. Oh, I got you. So you can go from there, you know, and just see what you, 
that, that would be my only caution. So speaking of which, check out the open RF, uh, open RC F one, a completely 3d printed chassis where you can 3d print any part that breaks. And man, th- that's cool. I know we've talked a little bit about 3d printing and 3d print printer YouTube channels here recently. You talked, I talked a little bit about what is it? Is it, um, geek, um, 3D printer. Yeah, the 3D printer geek. It's, it's literally 3D printing geek. Yeah, right. exactly. He, about a year and a half ago, he did uh, an open RCF1, but he did it scaled up. It's like oh, nice. 500, <laughs> yeah. you know, scaled up like 500% or something yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I don't know, t- Whitney, this table is what, probably five foot long? Yeah. His his finished car was pro- would sit on this table and fill it end to end. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it was huge. I wonder how long it took him to print that. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. But he, he, it, he parceled it out over several episodes, and there was a lot of time-lapse stuff in there. He 3D printed all of it, other than, of course, the electronics. So, oh, I bet that yeah. was neat. I, I, I'd wanted to go back and look at it, but... My 3D printer, we, we know the story there. It kind of got set to the side. So, so Whitney, the, the, thank you, Joe. The, the RC car stuff is kind of near and dear to my heart, and, and I still enjoy it. Uh, I've actually got a Hornet sitting in the glass case that's right over here. If Whitney, you look to the right. That, oh, yeah, I see it. That's a Hornet sitting yeah. in the glass case. So yeah. uh, I'm going to trade that out for, that's a reproduction. That's a, what we call a re-re. To me, it re-released the kits. A lot of the companies are doing that. Yeah. So that's not a vintage, but it's, but it's really darn close. To yeah. me, is really good about keeping their molds. They they change a few things for for more modern electronics, but um, and, and a few few odds and ends on occasion. But ninety nine percent of the re releases are, are are basically the original. They're faithful kits. to the original. Yeah, originals. they're faithful. Yeah, so. that's cool. I plan to put an original vintage car in that kit once I light it, but that's a whole other story. Yep. So. A whole other project. Yep. All right, Winnie. So once you pick up with, with Joe's comments. Yeah. So in the next one that he mentions is uh, Bob Ross, because I know we had a, a run where we were talking about Bob Ross. Are on we? This, on How did show. we get on Bob Ross? Yeah, it, it came up. Uh, we actually entitled, uh, I think we entitled one episode after Bob Ross and okay. used him a couple times. To- we invoked his name a few times on the show. <laughs> don't, well, don't. How many times have we said, if we say it three times in a row, he'll show up. He'll so show be careful. up. Yeah, exactly. So. Joe says, Bob Ross, you should watch the top 10 facts about Bob Ross. And then he gives the YouTube link. And he says, as a shortcut, he was ex-military and he permed his hair to save money on haircuts. He also made nearly no money because he worked for PBS. And even though he made hundreds of paintings, he made three copies of each one. Those were donated to charity and are now worth in excess of $10,000. I had no yeah, idea. So I've also heard... Uh, through some of these like lists of things about Bob Ross, the the deal with his hair. Yeah. He hated it, but he ended up basically having to keep it because that became his trademark part of his trademark. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I I totally get it. There was a, um, a a couple like web documentaries floating around within the past couple years where a lot of his paintings were discovered, like, like a, I, I had also realized that he'd done multiples and I guess it had to do with the shooting angles and, okay. you know, they, as he would, as he would do the, the, the paintings and they would get it from different angles. So I assume that's how at the end of the day he ended up with three and it seemed like there was like a, a set, a complete set or something that was recently discovered warehoused away somewhere. 
I can't even begin to imagine what that would be worth. I, I, I have Seriously. no idea. Wow. I mean, his, his name is still worth, if you, if who knows what, if you walk into a craft store today, there's Bob Ross series of brushes oh, yeah. and paints yeah. and all I mean, that stuff. I mean, he's synonymous with accessible art. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And then the last one here, uh, we'll, we'll let you get the next one here. The last one is uh, Joe writes in about Rick and Morty. He says, you must watch this. This is one of those shows when, that when I hear someone hasn't seen it, I'm jealous of them. I wish I could erase my memory and watch it again. <laughs> when you do watch it, do not judge it on the first episode. It takes a, a good five to six episode run in <laughs> to realize it's pure genius. It's like Riker's beard. Well, you got to you got to hold out for Riker's beard. Yeah, because it matures over time. Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. It's smart, funny, sometimes downright depressing as heck. The writers don't sugarcoat anything. There's almost always a reference to some pop culture thing in there too, sort of like Family Guy. You must watch <laughs> okay joe. all right joe i've i have never in my life seen an episode of rick and morty i i mean i have seen rick and morty referenced and i've seen I've rick seen and morty J- clips yeah so have i and i think i would actually like rick and morty but i have never sat down to start rick and morty so there's that all right, so I guess Rick and Morty's on the to do list. Have you watched it, Brent? No, I have not. Okay, all right. So I don't know where I, I don't know where I should put it in 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 the list of re rewatch so I can see the final season of the redo of Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I have get to it. I have to thread it in there somewhere. Yeah. So are you watching Battlestar Galactica? No, now, I need to. Yeah, that's, that's I want to go back and rewatch that as well. Yeah. <sighs> I, I I need to make more time. I'm I'm yeah. I, I sit down at at midnight to watch a little TV and unwind. Yeah, I and, get it. Yeah, and that's that's my fault. And that, that's yeah. that's how it goes. I need to make a little time for a little bit more fun. Yep, but, I'm, I'm with you, man. So Dave Major contacted us, and I Whitney. <laughs> I found this note tied to a brick uh-huh. right next to a, the broken window in my front room. Yeah, so, I, I know. I've, <laughs> I've, I've got I've got an answer for Dave, but let's 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 go with the read. So it, this was a short note because again, it was scribbled on a piece of paper tied to a brick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Dave writes, "Hi." So at least he was, ha- you know, at least it, it didn't start out rough since it was like thrown through a window. Yeah. But regardless, uh, do you know any good options for repairing custom? Mame arcade cabinets in the New York City area. Thanks, Dave. So I don't know what that means. Like rep- repairing, like the physical cabinet, or like if if it existed and the cabinet was broke. Brent, I'm going to stop you right okay. now. You're putting way too much thought into this. Okay. <laughs> the answer is no. Sorry, Dave. We don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, I wish we could help, but we just don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't have any contacts up in that up in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Me me either and uh we're not going and nobody else is either. So that's pretty much how how that goes. So Dave, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dave. Next one is from Thanks for <laughs> like, writing in, Dave. Really, really I'm do over here, here just like, I could tell you're like, nope. <laughs> yeah, the answer to that's no. Okay, the next one is from uh, listener Keith Jasinski, and Keith writes in, and he says, I've got a couple of items here. Uh, he starts out with, hey, Brent and Whitney, regarding Rigel scopes, I have the MSO 1074Z, which is the same general model as what you were talking about. 
I'm an electrical engineer by trade, and it's part of my home lab. I needed the logic analyzer portion, which added a chunk of dollars, plus I paid a little more for the 70 megahertz bandwidth without stealing it. Uh, he's referring to doing a mod to the to Oh, yeah, the, so the like on, on, the, on the Rigels, it's kind of known, wink, wink, mm-hmm. that you can... Double the bandwidth. Well, you could. There's. Can't you take it from fifty to hundred? If I'm not mistaken. The the uh, which model were we talking about? The the kind of the more common hobbyist. I'd have to go back and look. It seems like it was a ten twenty four or something. But that that may be what it was. Regardless, and maybe I'm trying to not to make a a blanket statement against uh, against all the Rigels, but uh, the short of it is, is at least the scope we were talking about. It's soft. It's it's almost like it's full featured, but it's unlocked via key. It, and there's key yeah. generators out there. You could go and put in your serial number. It'll generate your key and open up. Here's here's the key to enable this option. Here's the key to run it up to X bandwidth. Here's the key for this. It's the DS1054Z. That, that's, okay. that's the one that we were talking about. So uh, search for the win. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So that, I think that that's what, that's what uh, Keith is referring to here is, is that he didn't, he, he did it correctly, yeah. which is he didn't steal it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good deal. So he says, it's definitely a Chinese scope since the GUI and user interface is not the most intuitive, but it's also a lot cheaper than the Tektronix, which I'm used to. So it does take some time to find the feature or setting you need, but the features are there when you find them. I think it's a very good scope for the money. Will you get more for less if you wait? Eh, maybe. But I can't imagine you're going to get more than $50 or so. The cost on these things is basically commodity at this point. And he also writes in, he said, also, at some point, please add the Midwest Gaming Classic to your show list. Uh, after many years at the Sheridan Hotel in Brookfield, uh, we've moved to the main convention center in downtown Milwaukee. And Keith must uh, he must represent the Midwest Gaming Classic show because his email address is at Midwest Gaming Classic, and he listed the website as MidwestGamingClassic.com. So, Keith, thank you for writing in. Uh, sorry it took us a little bit to read this on air, but uh, when we can do things like go to shows, um, yeah, MGC is definitely on the list, no doubt about it. So we, if he's got such always a, wanted to go. So if he's got such a cool email address, then why did he write all this out on a basketball and mail it, it to you? It, it, it mail it flat. I, I know. I don't, I don't know. I had to pump that it up seems- read so, it all it is, it is weird it, i, I, I mean know. we'll take these comments any way we can get them that was one of the stranger ways keith but you know more power <laughs> to you it works out I mean, you've yeah. got that cool email address i suggest you use it yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well you, first you, of all i'll do this next I, one? well first of all I'm, I'm embarrassed because here's here's me yeah and, and um I'm actually kind of humbled. You know, Keith is talking to us about oscilloscopes and my, my, my ability to use oscilloscope is basically self-taught. I ham fist my way through a lot of things and, and same here. And, and, um, I'm sure that when, when folks like Keith that are really in the know listen to us, it's probably like, it's very cringeworthy. Yeah. It's like when we watch a movie, you know, my favorite line is Jurassic park when I can't think of the, the young girl's, character but she sets down and she says 
oh, this is Linux. Oh, it's I a know, Linux system. I know yes. how to, I know how to do this. And I'm yeah. like, no, you don't. That's a custom front end written for this park. Yeah, ma'am. Yeah. I, you don't know anything about this. It could be exactly. <laughs> Linux yeah. has nothing to do with anything. Well, let's put it this way. I know. So Keith is like, yeah, I, I know. I, and I know, and, and I appreciate that. But I think the one thing that does interweave and is consistent through our shows is our desire to learn and and to pass and to pass that on. So that's and admit that we're yeah this, luddites. Yeah, we're we're at the yeah. limit of our knowledge here. So your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary. Yes. <sighs> so this next one came in actually uh, online from the web contact form yeah. from a Jalisa Wilkerson, and yeah. the subject is Gloombox message. We bought one of your Gloom tomb boxes it appears the glass is not very secure how are we supposed to keep the glass from falling out <laughs> Delisa? i've got i've got two words for you that'll solve all your problems yeah. oh i've got an answer for this those two words are drywall screw <laughs> i was going to say <laughs> right through the glass right through the glass <laughs> i was going to say install in tron is what i was going to say but either way uh the reason i think this is funny is because we get so much feedback from people who are buying the game sets from a company called the broken token and apparently they do board game sets like uh let's say like we'll get uh, tagged sometime on facebook yeah yeah tagged all the time and um they do like uh, they, they do like table like table board game sets for like holding cards and holding game pieces and holding game boards. It's almost like they make organizer sets. Okay, well they do make organizer sets. It's not <laughs> almost it's, like it's, we're a podcast. Yeah, it's not almost like I'm sorry. Yes, they do make organizer sets, and we get confused with them all the time. So anyway, uh, Julissa, uh, sorry, I, I don't know what else to say. I hope you got your gloom box sorted out. <laughs> Okay, the next one is from listener Bill Farnsley. And uh, Brent, he uh, he actually floated this over on a boat. So it took a little while it's, to get yeah. here, but, you know, hey, here it is. And the subject is that fascinating box. So bear with me as I read in character, okay? <clears throat> Uh-oh. <laughs> the year was 1970-something. A blast of cold air greeted me as I followed my parents through the automatic doors of the thrifty Dutchman grocery store. I always had the option to hang out in the car on grocery day, ostensibly to ensure dad's CB radio didn't walk away while my parents were inside shopping. I enjoyed sitting behind the huge steering wheel pretending to be speed racer. Never mind my Mach 5 was a forest green Plymouth. And never mind that my parents relied on a four foot tall, 60 pound car alarm to keep the would-be burglars away. It was a different time. It was. Oh, it certainly was. This is great. Oh, yeah. Bill, so far, Bill. Oh yeah, it's. it's, it's I want to subscribe to Bill's blog. Yeah, Just no please doubt. tell me Bill has a blog. <laughs> and Keep it was hot, and it was hot outside, so I went in intent on a grape gumball from one of the machines, and not knowing that destiny was waiting just inside the door. It was huge and noisy and colorful, and I'd never seen anything like it. I was immediately captivated by this coin-operated monolith called Stunt Pilot. Oh, lucky for me, the teenager who was playing didn't mind or was too stoned to notice me climbing up on a step stool to peer inside that fascinating box. My memory of this first introduction might not be completely accurate, but it captures the feeling of the moment. I don't know what triggered such longing and excitement, but it was a feeling I would experience time and time again. 
no matter if it was a beat-up old pinball in the foyer of Danner's Five and Dime or the glossy, glowing, sexy sleekness that seemed to saturate the air in front of Aladdin's Castle in Clarksville's Green Tree Mall. There was nothing like it. And although there is no revisiting that glory again except in my head, I can still catch a glimpse from time to time out in the wild, but mostly from people like you who never outgrew the charm and all its forms of that fascinating box. Now for the short version. Hi, my name is Bill Farnsley. <laughs> I live in Indiana and work in Louisville as a front-end developer. My wife and I have a handful of games, and I was searching for someone to do some repair work. My regular guy felt, sort of fell off the face of the earth. When I came across your website, that led me to your Facebook page and then back to the website. And now an hour or so later, I've just subscribed to your podcast. I bet you don't get many contacts that start with the year was. (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to introduce myself and say hello. Looking forward to binging Broken Token. Later, Bill. Bill. Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? That was awesome. That that was absolutely awesome. Bill, thank you so much. And uh, yes, I think about... uh, I think about arcade games and pinball machines way more than I should. Yeah, Seriously. I'm, I'm I pretty do. sure I know who Bill's regular repair guy was. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I have a guess and I know I'm right. Yeah, How about yeah. that? Yes. It, so you want to talk about the games that got away. Yeah. So years ago when, uh, when we first started emptying out Jimmy Litzy's warehouse up on the second floor he had a room, a good size room, full of electromechanical games. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it wasn't hard to get find them a home because I mean, there wasn't as many people interested in them as there were video games. Yeah, the solid state stuff. But yeah. there were people that were definitely interested in in the EMs. Mm-hmm. And one of the games that was up there that I had earmarked for me to keep to go into my pile of games was Stunt Pilot. Oh, I see. And I I held on to it. It was a pretty nice example. And when it was all said and done, there's a local gentleman whose life are those games. And uh, he's the demographic of those games. Like, we're the demographic of Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. But I looked at that stunt pilot, and it was... I thought if I was going to have an EM game, it was going to be this game. Yeah. And when it was all said and done, um, it, it 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 made sense to shift over to to him. Yeah. And I'm not going to mention his name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's the... Kind of like you and I can get into a pinball and sort it out in short order. Yeah. That was him with Ian. It was his jam. And it was his it? jam. It was his jam. And yep. I knew it would have a good home, and I'm sure it does. But, oh, yeah, that that's one that got away. And I think about that game comes up every once in a while in my mind. And yeah. I was like, oh, I, w- I do wish I'd have kept it. But <laughs> I understand. Well, I just love the fact that he put so much effort into just describing what... I think he missed his calling. He, he should have been a writer. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. I, I mean, he put so much effort into describing what created that indelible mark for the arcades. I, I know what that indelible mark was for me, and I'll never forget it. Never forget it. And I, I just really, really enjoy reading that title type of that that type of discourse because there's there's passion there and there's nostalgia and there's true love in in that so i I love that thank you bill 
So Whitney, this next one is actually uh, on a topic near and dear to your heart. So why don't you go ahead and take that? Okay, okay, I'll do that, and then you then you do the next one. Okay, it sounds good. Okay, so uh, Britt Cagnia writes in, uh, and this was. Um, this was this was FedEx overnight, so we we had to, yeah, yeah, that, we had to get this one even, straight on. Even just a sheet of papers is pretty pricey to do that. that so that man, it Brit, is. yeah, Brit, man, well, stepped up. Well, you know, topic wise, this is I mean, this is important. So Britt wanted to know. So Britt says on the subject of Zookeeper, he said, I just saw this tweet and this was me tweeting from probably back in 2014 or something like that. He's like, do you, do you want to sell that? Or do you still have it or want to sell it? And we did, we did an extremely lengthy exchange. I'm not going to go into that here, but uh, he goes on to say, he says, I'm a huge fan of the game and the sounds I've been searching on and off for over five years or so. It is not an easy find. It pleases me to know that you're taking care of one though. Well, I, I guess I kind of am right now. Uh, it gives me hope that they're still out there. I'll keep you updated if I find one. And please pass any rumors of other zookeepers my way. Thanks, it seems like they're all but Brit. rumors. They, they, they are all but rumors. So how's the yeah. zookeeper going, Whitney? Um, <laughs> Brent, let's, let's put it this way. Uh, because of me vacuuming up a lot of broken glass, it's still uh, no closer than it was last month, unfortunately. So... There, oh, there is man. that. But as soon as I finish shopping my pins, Zookeeper's next on the it's list. Gotta be up, it's got to be the top. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is the next thing I do after I finish shopping my pins. So so this note is from a Rob Cacaro, uh-huh. and he sent this in via dog sled team. <laughs> <laughs> which is which was really hard because we yeah. haven't had snow around here no. yet. But it, no, here's the thing, Brent. Did you have to feed the dogs when they got of here? Of course I did. That's what I figured. You, you've met me, Whitney. I'm a dog person. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I fed them and I got to know you're such a good boy. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Yeah. yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> Ask me if I fed him. Hi, Brent and Whitney. Over the years, you've had a number of guest interviews. What are those individuals up to nowadays? Well, some of them are up uh, at maybe five to ten in the state pen. <laughs> yeah, but- <laughs> I was thinking about that myself. They're they're doing a well deserved uh, block on ice. Oh, actually, yeah, I guess. Well, that that was meant as a joke, but in reality, in reality, yeah, let's not, yeah, yeah let's not sully. In the reality, moment. one of them is, yeah, let's yeah. not sully the no. the moment there. No, that no. was actually intended to be a joke, and it took a sad turn. Sorry about that. Let's go back to talking about the dogs. Yeah, how about it? <laughs> For example, cover maybe folks mentioned in episode one through whatever favorites, memorable or nearby. Also, would like to be updated on the zookeeper <laughs> and or current projects. Okay, all right, Zoo- zookeeper, we know where that sits, so. Uh, okay, how about let's answer it this way. What has been your favorite guest interview that that we've had on the show? Whether you've conducted it or whether you've you know been you know part and parcel uh, to it or what have you. Because I, I have mine and I'll I'll get into it here in a second. I've actually got two that are completely they're very memorable. Well, why don't for you me. hit hit yours, Whitney, because you're that's that's a tough question to ask and answer cold. I, I know I, I know who I think yours would be though. And, and I'll, if, if you don't, if you don't bring one up, then I'll, I'll bring it up. Okay. Okay. So from, and this, this sounds very, this is very uh, contemporaneous. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it, it, yeah, I don't want people to think, well, he's just going to a more recent one, but I've really enjoyed Master Piscina. Okay. That we, that, that came and sat in, with us at, uh, uh, Arcade Expo. Okay. And, um, that's a good one. It's, it's a good one. No doubt. So as it turned out, he and I knew a lot of, uh, we, we had 
we we almost kind of knew one another, but we didn't, if that made sense. So we had some other connections other than the video game, the arcade ties. Gotcha. So gotcha. that was that was just a, that was a, a a really fun couple of interviews for me. Yeah. So. Okay. Fair enough. I would have to say that uh, my favorite one that, that we've done on the show so far has been David Crane. That's the one that that probably resonated the most with me from a nostalgia standpoint. And uh, I really got to I essentially got to interview one of my childhood heroes, I guess is probably a better way to say that. Now, if, for anybody who didn't catch that interview and would uh, you know, would like to go back and get that, that was, um, let's see, let me figure out. Here I can. Uh, that was back in... Was that? Uh, I can look that up, Whitney. Let's see. Hold on for one second. It's crane. Uh, you looking on our site? Uh, let's see. I am one to one with one on one with one to one with David Crane. Yeah. What episode twenty nine. Episode twenty nine. Thank you. Okay. I did. I would not have. That was wow. That was 2015? That was that long ago. My gosh. Yeah, thank, thanks for looking that up. I appreciate it. I was searching our show notes. I didn't search the show title. So, But yeah, that was that was my favorite, the, the favorite one that we've done or the, that I've been part of. And then the second one, and we're actually going to mention this gentleman in the next piece of feedback I'm going to read, was the uh, panel discussion we did with Bill Adams at the Southern Fried Game Room Expo. I think, oh, I think I think that was yes. that was one of my favorite ones that uh, that we were able to do as well. So th- those are my two. You know, is we have tried over the years. There's a couple individuals. If, I remember, I'm sure you remember from SFGE, Mr. Scott Hale. Scott's a great oh, guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And, and and Scott was somebody we never got to also follow up with and, and get back on the show. And I've actually seen Scott here and there over the years. We I've been to an auction and turned around. There's there he stands. You know. Uh, great guy. Um, we we wanted so badly to fo- to follow up with. Uh, uh, oh God, I just I just went with blank Bill Adams. with Bill. Yeah, and we really Whitney need to, need to do that. It is amazing how time gets away from just us. gets away. Yeah, and yeah, what, it does. What, what I was actually doing is I was going back through our show notes here, zipping back in the page trying to find episode one uh-huh just just to see how far back how long have we been doing the show Whitney uh September of 2013 was episode one jeez yeah so seven years the, the, this this show this show will be seven years it's actually this month. It's this month, seven years. This show, the September show. This is this is the September twenty twenty. We'll show. talk about a swing and a it, miss. I mean, be, we could have we could have had years. birthday cake and everything. <laughs> we could have, could we? Oh my gosh, we seven. Used, we could have used up some of your some of your eggs and made a cake, man. This is true. Yeah, seven years. Yes, seven years. It's unbelievable. Um, the other one that that I thought that you might mention, the, and one that was one of my personal favorites that you did was the interview with uh, Jimmy Litzy. Oh, yeah, I. I can't believe how that yeah. skipped my no, mind. No, no, I mean it's all good, but that that was the one that was one that if I think about the ones that you've done, that was one of the one of my favorites that you did. You're I, that I you're right, Whitney. Yeah, I 
totally spaced on that. And you think I'm actually unbelievably embarrassed because I see the the family so much and spend yeah. so much time with them. Yep, yep. I mean, they have become such good friends of mine. Yeah. I, I Absolutely. I, I'm ashamed that <laughs> I, a, I literally am ashamed that I forgot it's, that. It's all, it's all good, man. Don't worry about it. I mean, but who remembers May? Yeah, you know? no, nobody does. <laughs> but I would say if there are, if you, if you want like four. That was so much fun. Yeah. I, but, it, but what we've, what we've just described are like four capstones within the, within the catalog. There's an interview with Daniel Pacina, okay, from Mortal Kombat fame. Jimmy Litzy, a an operator, uh, an operator amongst operators. Literally, the guy is the salt of the earth, and the stories that he told in that interview were second to none. It still hurts my feelings what he said about food fighting burger time. And trust me, I have not forgotten either of those. So the, okay? li- the Jimmy Litzy episode was back in 54, two okay. tacos and a cigar. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I okay. love her titles. I love her so titles, So episode too. 54, and I interviewed him at Arcade Expo uh, in 2017. So that would have been in March. And this, March this, was, this was in April. The episode yeah. was April 2017. Yep. Awesome. And, oh, yeah. I, I sat down with Jimmy and his wife, Rhonda. Yeah. And uh, um, just started talking. I knew some stories and just started pulling stuff out of him and uh, – with Rhonda there, I could, you know, I, that was more, a, more of a reminder and, you know, and, and, uh, I'd get a smile and like, all right, give me, you know, give me something else. And yeah. that's where yeah. you've got to listen to that. I it's, mean, it's, it is so good. He's it's got, so good. he's got arcade, uh, uh, stories that relate to uh, cattle prods and bowling balls. Oh, and yeah. It is insane. And plus, what I thought was so interesting is he talked about the games that performed and the games that didn't. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. In, in the in the, the, the uber rare titles, ultra desirable titles of today, they, they were like dogs back, back oh, in yeah, the day. Oh, yeah. That's why they're uh, ultra uh, rare. Yeah, exactly. They were dogs. And I mean, the, the things that he would say that did not perform, that they would chuck or toss out or convert and then we think about that today and it's like it just almost hurts your feelings to hear that they were converting food fights left and right just to get rid of them yeah because it wasn't making money because it made no money yeah it's crazy donkey kongs and uh, oh oh, now 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 come on now all uh, well why do you oh yeah but they they did they they, 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 they got converted when they weren't making money they weren't making money that's that's true and it it was a business it It was it it was a business of fun but it was a business it was a business but it was a business he he uh he has a whole story about how they i think it's told in that interview as to how they Thank you for. I'm sorry. I've looked back at our at, at our website to get that. Who asked this? Was this? Uh, this is Rob uh, Kakar. This was Rob. Okay, yeah, who asked this? So, yeah. Rob, thank you. This is this is a great memory. Yeah, I, it really I, is. I I need to go back and listen to it. I'll probably see Jimmy in a couple of days. I, yeah. I'm you gonna, need to ask him about getting him on I, again. I'm going to put the bug in his ear. Do, do it, and please. Do it. Yeah, do oh, it, absolutely. Please. We can make an entire show with him. Seriously. Oh, and, yeah. And it would be belly. Phenomenal. It would be belly laughed after belly laugh is what it would be. It would be great. He, he basically, and I believe him, he came up with the lockdown, not the lockdown bar, the security bar that go that you see across coin doors. Uh-huh. They were having issues. And the story's told, if I recall correctly, in that interview. And he had gone to a metal shop 
and had had a first version I, fabbed up. I mean, somebody had to invent it, yeah. you know? So. And then they modified it and had another version fabbed up where they had um, they had a little additional give in it so that they didn't have to be so precise when they took the brand new game out of the box and drilled two quarter inch holes in it. And he ended up, it was seen by, I think it was a Wicco representative because Wicco and like Peach State, and it seemed like there was another company that had Georgia in the name. They were like a third party that made like, um, generic arcade and coin op parts and pieces and accessories that operators would buy. So like through that, like peach state is where you would get like a lot of third party uh, overlays. So like when your Pac-Man overlay wore out, you could get a cheaper one from peach state, kind of like the wills overlays that were kind of close, but not the same. Still different. Still different, but fit the theme. And before he knew it, he turned around and the next catalog that came from that vendor had basically that bar in it. Yeah. How about that? And then they were sold nationwide. That's crazy. So he's to blame for all those holes in our games. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you think about those interviews. Thank you for that question, Rob. Yeah, it was was a great question. I'll have to go back and listen to my own show. Uh, Yeah, it was a great question. And then, you know, I just think about what we did with Bill Adams, which again, we'll we'll speak to here in this next piece of So why don't you take this one from, from, from Adam? I, I will. And, um, and then the only other thing is, you know, David Crane. I think. Oh, that, oh I think I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's fine. I, I was just going to say, I think, you know, if you if you cherry picked four episodes out of our back catalog to listen to, grab those four because they are all so different, but all so amazing. And they were they're they're luminaries across different parts of the video game genre in the video game industry. And they're they're all just they're they're just so so amazing but yeah like for me to get to interview david crane never thought never thought that would ever happen just a, a highlight for me as well so it, it was all good stuff okay this next one comes in from uh adam trinofo uh, Tr- 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 i'd go yeah, with trinofo yeah i think that's the trinofo right. Tr- Tr- no there's not an extra o in no, there no there's not Trion- my brain Trionfo? wants to put trionfo trionfo adam yeah, Adam. We're sorry, Adam T. How we, about that? We'd rather have pronounced it correct. Yeah, but we're 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 from Kentucky. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> so he writes in uh, about the about the Bill Adams interview, and his website is ballyalley.com, So I need to check that out. And so uh, Adam writes. I just listened to the interview with Bill Adams, uh, Tron, Kickman, etc., from episode 43, this is back in June 2016, of your podcast. I just learned recently that he programmed four games for the Bally Arcade Astrocade home game console, Galaxian, Pac-Man, Pirate's Chase, and Soccer. He mentions his home version of Pac-Man in the interview, but fails to mention that he programmed it for this this system specifically. In fact, in the interview, he seems to not know that the game was released. The game had had an unofficial release in limited quantities in the 1980s and is available for play today. It's probably the best home home console version of the game from that period prior to the Atari 5200 version, and it might even be better in gameplay than that version although its resolution is much lower. Until I heard the interview, I had no idea that the code for the home version of the game was used for the pinball video hybrid Baby Pac-Man. Very neat. Has this interview with Bill Adams ever been transcribed? 
Adam, thank you for the uh, for the feedback. The answer to your question is no. Um, that is something that we would either have to farm out or just devote the time to doing. And quite honestly, I, I've never. I mean, I've thought about getting transcriptions for the for these interviews done a few times, and I, I know that there's services we could have it done through, and you know, money money being what money is, I'm you know, and, and to pay for that and everything. But may, maybe I ought to look into it at some point because there there are some key interviews yep. like this, like the David Crane, like yep. like Jimmy Litzy would be mm-hmm. awesome, and and others over time, some some other folks that we've that we've interviewed or had on the show that are worthy of being transcribed. And uh, I'll put that in the I'll put that in the bucket of something that that we would like to get done at some point. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Adam. So, really, really do appreciate. So, that. Adam, let me mention this in uh, um, in kind of in the vein of uh, what was the mention here that he didn't know was released. Oh, uh, the the Pac Man. So I was talking to I accompanied Bill back to the signing table. And while I sat, I sat with while Bill, we while we were at SFG while we were at SFGE yeah. after the interview, I accompanied Bill back to the signing table, and I was just chatting with him as we had an opportunity, and I asked him about given his role at Bally. I can't remember his exact title, but it. it points in his career he was more than just a developer i can't remember exactly what his titles were uh but it was beyond development you know it was management level uh positions at bally so i asked him about two tigers and he looked at me real quiz in kind of a real quizzical way and i said well i know you did tron and then bally eventually produced shortly thereafter a, a dedicated upright for a game called two tigers and it had two yokes and the yokes were basically each yoke had two handles on it that were the same handles from Tron, but cast in black, like they are on a Gorf. And I said, and to boot, I also have a, a converted with a Bally kit Tron cabinet that is two tigers. And he looked at me real strange. And I said, so it's a, it's a side art overlay. It's a new marquee. It's a new control panel. It's a two spinner game. It uses one Tron spinner. The other spinner comes with a sticker that looks like the Tron spinner. So you only have to have one sticker. Um, and it's got hardware in it to turn the monitor from vertical to horizontal and uh, it's still everything below the control panel, the Tron art, all that stuff. It's still there. And he had no idea what I was talking about. Oh, is about. that right? Okay. Not a clue. How about it? He had, it, it. So however it happened in his career that that was produced either in a different part of the company that he didn't have eyes into or shortly after Tron came out, he was out of the company, but yet Tron was still active enough in the arcades that it made sense for, for Bally to sell this conversion yeah, kit. Yeah, to do the R&D and, 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 and make the kit. And make the kit, yeah. So, yeah, so the, apparently that wasn't an uncommon thing for, for, for that to happen, at least within Bally. Yeah, that's it. It's wild. Okay, so let's see, Whitney, that takes us 
down to John Singletary. John Singletary. Yeah. And uh, John's note came in via hot air balloon. Okay. And he said, I would like for both of you to say firepower. And of course, I, I stress that yes. right there. Yes. With a very, with very clean drops so I can use the clip in my virtual pen. <laughs> so are we going to do this for John? I, I'm, I'm kind of humbled. Yeah. I, I think we ought to do this for John. So why don't, why don't we give him like a, like a second or two so he can get the drop. And then I don't know. Th- th- I got to think about this because him. now I, I, it's not, it's not organic Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> I get it, but it is the ask, you know? <laughs> no, it's like if, if I try too hard, I don't know if, it, if it'll be us. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it, we'll get it. Yeah, it'll be us. You want me to go first? All right. So we're going to give it a little gap here, a little about a second, and then you're you're going to say I'll it. do my drop, okay? Okay. Fire, par. Well, that was pretty good, Whitney. That was stout. All right. So here, 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 here I go. Ready? Fire, par. I, I think I've got a little bit more than you. You probably did. Yeah. Fire, par. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a... <laughs> got a worse accent than you do and i'm a city boy <laughs> i'm not even trying i'm not hamming that up that's me that's all brent that's it and yeah fire power yeah you got it you got it okay john that, that's it buddy. there's several samples for you john yep, yep. I, take, I, take what works best for you i would love it if you do put that in your virtual pen i'd love to see a video of that like up yeah. on youtube or it, something. it would it would be great like when you it? select it it'll go fire power <laughs> <laughs> all right john davies writes in and uh he sent this uh in a subaru outback driven straight up from uh straight up from atlanta georgia and he asked How's the zookeeper doing? <laughs> John, the zookeeper's doing. That's all that's all I know to tell you, buddy. Uh we'll we'll def- it's still sitting exactly where it has been sitting. It's no worse off than it ever has been, eh, eh, give or take. Uh but it, it will be back on the docket soon. Okay, the next one is from uh, Emma Bowles, and this yeah. one came in straight up for web contact form. It did. It did. Do you want to take this one or yeah. should I? Yeah, no, no. It, this one says we have a team of 55 highly qualified professionals who are certified in Google AdWords and ISO standards, providing a wide, a wide range of services in order to generate higher visitor traffic to your website. This ensures that your website gets higher rankings on the search engine pages. We offer SEO with plan and activity services at much lower cost. I'd be happy to send you our package pricing and past work details. Regards, Emma Bowles. Well, let me take that one, Whitney. Yeah, and Emma, you, you I'm just going to go with a with a with. This is going to be a hard no. Yeah, it's it's this definitely a solid hard pass. pass. Yeah, sorry, Emma. <laughs> sorry, Emma. Yeah, yeah. Ask about a main cabinet in New York or something, and we'll. <laughs> I mean, we'll try to help you out. But outside of that, we we got to know. So this next one's from. Paul Elmore and Paul actually had this taped to the antenna mast on an RC car, like a little flag. <laughs> yeah. And he ran it by the house and I grabbed it as it went by. And Paul, fair, fair, fair enough. Paul writes, Hey, Whitney and Brent, I'd like a quick request. Uh, I'd like to request a quick, uh, I can't see over my mic, Whitney. Yeah. Hold on. I'd like a, I'd like to request a quick update on what currently occupies your respective game rooms list of cabs and pins what gets the most play and what you're looking to swap out for what and so that's a good question paul we've done that a couple times over the as i've now discovered several seven years of the show but we haven't done it for a while no we, we haven't you want to you want to go first you uh, want me to go first How you can you do, do yours from memory because i can look at mine yeah yeah i can do mine from memory so I'm going to go around the horn and it's I'm going to do pinball first. So let's let's go like this. Um, it goes Ghostbusters, Iron Man, ACDC, 
Star Trek, Batman 66, uh, TNA, and Tron are my pinball titles. And then in the game room right now, from an arcade perspective, I've got Satan's Hollow, I've got a Tron, I've got a Food Fight, um, and then I've got my Pole Position Cockpit, uh, a Burger Time, a Tempest, a Black Widow, and then I've got my Nintendo Row, which would be Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., uh, Donkey Kong 3, Popeye, Skyskipper, Mario Brothers, and then I've got Burger Time and uh, Mad Planets, Super Pac-Man, and Gyrus. That's all. Those are stout games. Thank you. Thank you. It's a stout lineup. Yeah. And then in my workroom right now, I've got my Zookeeper, my Rally X, and then... um, and then the two pinball machines, my two pins that I'm shopping out. So, yep. So are you looking to pull anything like uh, in, rotate something in or out? You know something, if anything, um, I would eventually, yeah, I, I need to rotate in uh Q-Bert and Frogger. And then I need to determine what would come, what would come out for, for those. I'm not really sure yet. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't really know. It's, that's a, I'm at that point. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know how to. I don't really know how to make those choices <laughs> right yet. Just think about the choices that I've tried to make during the show is the stuff to do next. Yeah, not I, even I game related. Yeah, I totally get it. All right, so here's what I've got, and I'm, I'm I'm looking at this as I go around the room. So over by Whitney, I'm going to start with a uh, my pack plus cabaret. All right. And I've, I've had a multi-pack in that on and off over uh-huh. time. Yeah. But honestly, it's really settled out just at pack plus. And, and I just, which is, a, which is a great game. And I just, we yeah. just roll with it. Yeah, I you like know? that game. It's fun. Generally, when I take it to shows, I, I, I got to where I was taking the pack plus in and out. Or excuse me, the, the multi-pack just so, because it, it kind of gets a little confusing and stopping and starting. And you know, how do I start a game? If, especially if it's a kid that walks up a little kid, kiddo. So I, I got to where I was just tired of changing. So I just left it pack plus and it's worked that way. So pack plus Tempest berserk Gorf Tron. Now I'm getting into my pins, high speed ghostbusters, premium CSI Adams, Jurassic Park, yep. the old school data east, yep. and Back to the Future. Uh, then, then we get into Battle Zone uh-huh. and uh, Asteroids. Yeah, directly behind me, back to back, is Time Pilot and Phoenix. Uh-huh. Then to my left, I'm into Star Wars Episode One, Pin Scramble. Then I get, and I'm having to turn my head here so I can make sure I've got, I've got all these in. So we're going around the corner now. Yeah. Defender uh-huh. got it. My Neo Geo, uh-huh. two, two, two slot. I, I can't remember. I think it's two slot, so, but it's a dedicated, nice, big red Neo Geo with a 25 inch monitor in it. Pole position upright that will eventually get swapped for a cockpit. I've got a really nice upright centipede. I'm leaning out. Um, my one versus cabinet that's left down here and it's got excite bike and super Mario brothers in it. My galaxian hydro thunder mm-hmm. star castle rip off burger time. And then next to that, I've got 
uh, Ziggy the Clown. Oh, yeah, right on. <laughs> well, <laughs> crazy Ziggy. Crazy Ziggy. And you know something? You, it, when you mentioned Time Pilot, it made me remember that I've got four more games that I pulled out of my game room to to make some move around room while I'm shopping all of my pins. I completely forgot about those. And it's Time Pilot, Asteroids Deluxe, uh, Robotron, and Joust. So those are the other four that would oh, go those back. Those are all into, solid games. Yeah, that would go back into the game room as well. So and, and you know I'm I'm kind of back with you in terms of what might come in because mm-hmm. like ready to go out in the garage. I've got my two tigers. I've got my cartoon theater that I've rotated in here. Yeah. I've got millipede. Yeah. Um, I've got a gyrus that came from you that's not too far away from being ready to go in a game room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got. Um, uh, now it's a project. It's down the road, but I've got a Tempest cabinet ready to be a major havoc. Oh yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got a really nice space duel, yeah. <laughs> and and I know you've got the same. You've got a back catalog oh, as I've well. Got a back catalog of games. And oh yeah. I've got a, ro- a Robotron out there. I've yeah. Got, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Just, yeah, it's crazy. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, I've got. A I've lot. got a Pepper too. Oh, it, let me tell you, I, I'm not even going to list the games that yeah. I've got in storage. Not even. I know. Not even. I'm not going to embarrass myself by doing that. So, um, yeah, yeah there's it, stuff it, to be swatted. Uh, yeah. And I've got a Frogger. I love Frogger. So, yeah, so yeah, that would probably be the the thing. Honestly, yeah, that would be the next one that I'd want to actually set down and bring that would be a quick win through yeah yeah that would be a quick win yeah so so there there you go paul i I hope that i hope that helps a little bit um it's 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 always in a little bit of flux there's no doubt about it but you know if i get more pins over time then i've got to pull some games out and then it's like oh and then you know because pins just and that's that's kind of where i'm at you know i've got a I got a nice bride or nice, not bride. I got a nice pin bot. Yeah. And I've got oh, man. tales from the crypt that eventually I would like to have in here. Yeah. And, uh, I got, I just, yeah, I know. I, I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's where it is. Uh, okay. Next one, John Singletary writes in again and, uh, he taped this on the bottom of the general Lee and jumped it across. Oh, did he get it here? Yes. And he says a firepower two. <laughs> Fire power two. Fire power two. Yeah. Fire power two. Yeah. He says that he says that drop wouldn't hurt either. So here we go. Let's give him the second. Oh, 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 for the game. I thought he meant for like to add to the game room. He's talking about for his his virtual pin. Go ahead. Fire power two. That was a little, that didn't really, there was a little pregnant pause in there. Yeah. Well, I, I did that on purpose. Yeah. Fire power two. Oh, now you said that with a little bit of uh, enthusiasm. Yeah, intention. There you, you gotta, go. Come, come, come on over and play my firepower too. <laughs> Nobody's touching my firepower too. <laughs> All right, there we go. So, so John, I, I I hope that helps out. So, uh, you want to do this next one? Or you want me to? Um, <laughs> well, you can try the last name. I'm not going to give that a shot. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, disparage Heather's last name, but I may give her address out on the air. <laughs> so Heather wrote in, and actually, this was a straight up web contact uh, yeah. contact form. Uh, and uh, Heather asks us about her recent yeah uh, Mad Manor Crate Origins purchase. So <laughs> yeah. Heather writes, "I bought the Mad Manor Crate uh, at Origins 2019, and I'm missing the dividers." At, 
uh, for the small bits tray. According to the assembly instructions, important to keep your instructions and check those out, kids. Yes, it is. I need to create a support ticket to get the missing pieces (laughs) shipped to me. My shipping address is listed below. Please let me know if there's any other information you need. Well, Heather, uh, no, there's no other information we need. However, you do, you need some information, and that is the correct website to yes, ask yeah. for those pieces, which sound rather important. Uh, and also, I have no idea what Origins 2019 is. I, I haven't the slightest idea. The only thing I can say is, Heather, we're sorry, but it's not us, you know? Yeah, I, it sounds like the other broken token needs to step up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some quality control issues or whatever i i have no idea uh this next one is from mike thomas and he writes question for the podcast and he goes first off best podcast hands down in fact over time i've narrowed down my podcast to only one i love your tangents and your ramblings it's like <laughs> talking to friends it's great and uh so uh mike thank you for that i i don't really know what to say i'm, I'm uh, humbled by that i really appreciate that um, he says, uh, now, uh, now to my question for the podcast, I'm restoring a cuber and have an above below coin door. I have the correct raised Gottlieb logo coin door, but it's in sad shape. I plan to have it stripped down and powder coated, but how should I handle the raised letter Gottlieb logo plaque? Spray paint straight yeah, up. Yeah. No, <laughs> we, <laughs> we wouldn't want to powder coat the whole thing. And can you powder coat part of it? Can you mask? Thanks. So um, I think I know what you're going to say, yeah. but go ahead. I, I haven't, I, I do have an answer for that because, um, I did have my raised, I did have my Gottlieb raised logo doors powder coated. And I asked the gentleman who did the powder coating, how he handled that. And, uh, the way that he told me is that the badges, okay. Or the logo portion of the door are, they're powder coated separately. And as soon as the powder is sprayed on, then they're, they're hand wiped off mm-hmm. and then put into the oven right after they're wiped. So they're literally sprayed, wiped in is, is how he did those. And mine came out beautiful. They look wonderful. So you okay. can you can mention you can tell telling you didn't mention who did it though right oh no yeah I, yeah I That's, I had I had all of mine done by Chris Royalty from yep. Hot Rod Arcade and he did a fantastic job yeah yes absolutely fantastic job so that's that's one of those things where um you know you you can try to go at it yourself even with just paint but um if if you you know, Chris has got it down. Oh yeah, yeah and yes, I'm sure yes. it'll come out nice, and it'll be durable like it was from the factory. Yeah, yeah, with a with a factory coating on it, with so. a factory coating on it, and he he does a um, he does a certain finish that is it has a certain grain to it or it has a very specific grain to it, and it feels um, it feels exactly like the finish that the manufacturers used on the coin doors when they would have been new. And so that kind of that crackle feel. Yeah. It's, it's Mm -hmm. got that just ever so slightly kind of, kind of crinkle kind of crinkle Mm -hmm. finish to it, almost like a Sandy kind of crinkle finish to it. So, um, what I would definitely recommend Mike is you get in touch with Chris at hotrodarcade.com and, uh, tell him that we sent you and Chris will take, no, don't do that because he'll double you. Okay. Then then, then, then don't say, (laughs) don't say anything, but no, he's, that's fine. Let him know. Yeah. 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 Let let him know. He knows that we're talking about it. Exactly. But if you want those coin, if you want that coin door restored to essentially factory 
perfect condition, then Chris is going to be your guy to do that. No doubt about it. So Whitney, this next one, uh, this one's for you. It's from uh, Oliver Retro. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, you take it, but I, I, I have one question. Is it true what you told me earlier in that he dropped you this note? as he flew over it's, on a on a hang glider on a hang glider yes i didn't yeah. even realize there was a yeah. place by your house where you could launch a hang glider there, well there's that's not, amazing there's not he flew all the way over from the uk oh and, and he waved as he went that, by. that's even more yeah he really went out of his yeah, way he, to he get did. that message and he, to you. he gave me the most solid tally-ho that i that i've ever gotten so it was it was fantastic oliver thank you <laughs> so he writes in Hi there, message for Whitney. Firstly, uh, firstly, great work on Skyskipper. Well, thank you, Oliver. That, that but trust me, that was that was a group effort. wasn't just me. But Oliver, thank you for the kind words. I'm really very impressed. I'd love to buy you a beer sometime, but being UK based, that won't be easy. I'm new to the community, and whilst I find my feet, I, and while and whilst I find my feet, I'm not going to jump in and start collecting before getting a better idea of what I'm doing. I guess I'm still planning. Oliver, uh, you're doing it way better than I did because I just went stupid, just head, head first and in. <laughs> but uh, anyway, with that with that being said, uh, Oliver says, goes on to say, with that in mind, I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos and I saw Alex visiting your place before the Skyskipper reveal. I love your game room and was wondering if you know the dimensions off the top of your head. I'm planning a game room space and having seen yours, I may be able to fit in more than I originally thought. Regardless of format, if you have an idea of that, then I'd, it would be a big help. Thank you. Do you have a YouTube channel at all? If so, I can't find it. Cheers and no rush on reply just when you have time. So, Oliver, I will reply to you. Uh, I will get my game room measurements. I do have them written down from when I was ordering carpet. So I'll go back and get that, and I'll, I'll send you a personal reply on that, Oliver. And thank you very much for the kind words. So the last one here, Whitney is um from robert yeah uh bar barajas 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 yeah let's try that and and, and, and i'm glad you're doing this one last because i figured this was right up your alley it is it is this this was this took a while to get here because it came by steamship yeah and it did yeah and and robert simply asks uh looking and, and i'm gonna read this word for word exactly as robert sent it to us looking for someone to work on my jurassic park pinball machine so, Robert, the only thing I have to say to you is, is should you find somebody, just share the info and we'll let people know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't have any help for you. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. You know, people are always looking and that's kind of kind the way it goes. That's not what we do. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is for as much of the mailbag as we went through on this show, I weeded out an equal number of people looking for repair help saying, hey, Brent and Whitney. Do you know? Hey, Brent and Whitney, would you fix? Hey, Whitney, could you get me in touch with Brent to fix my? And the answer is no, no, and no. And I'm sorry for that, but we we just, we work on our own stuff. And that's, I mean, at least I'm speaking for me. I don't, I, Brent, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I just, I don't have time to work on other people's I, stuff. I, I just don't. I don't. I mean, once in a long while, I will do something like, like if you needed something, yeah. if there's something yeah, that yeah. I had a tool set for or sure, whatever, sure. that that's, that's, that's fine. But if anything, I mean, just as the sort of the, the thread that's been a little common through the last several shows and actually all of our shows is, you know, we've got, full-time jobs yeah, and yeah you know and it's more fun to teach a man to fish and talk about yeah. talk about learning how to fish than it is to just fix than just 
you know, yeah. to do that for somebody one time. It's over. not, so, yeah, it's not, it's kind of not what we do. Yeah, it, yeah. That, that time personally, that time is more valuable, valuable to me yes. in, in other, other places. In, in other places. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly so. right. So with that, we shall close up the mailbag and put the mailbag off to the side. So Brent, did you enjoy it? Did you have a good time? I did. Doing that was fun. That was fun. I especially, I especially liked the, the occasional question about board game, uh, yes, organizing parts. Exactly. <laughs> between the board, between the board game organizers and zookeeper, they, they were running neck and neck for people wanting to know. And I, 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 I love that. It was, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, we'll have to do the mailbag again sometime and please everybody continue you send us some feedback right in facebook twitter it, however you want to go we we love it and uh and we'll get to it and as i as i'd said i think off air and i may have even mentioned this earlier uh, if we were to do this again I, i've i've got i, I could I could get this much or more all over again. So I was just working through what to what to leave in and what to leave out, but we'll get to it. No, no doubt about it. So Brent, uh, with that, why don't we take a break and then we will transition over to another one of the seminars from the Portland Retro Gaming Expo 2019. Uh, this month, we're going to feature the panel discussion or presentation rather from the esteemed and uh, I dare I say legendary Howard Scott Warshaw. Uh, if you if you don't know who he is, uh, he's a very prolific uh, game designer. He worked on or designed or literally developed uh, Yars Revenge, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and one of my seminal favorites, E.T. for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. <laughs> so I forgot that yeah, he got saddled with yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know something? He actually, in my mind, he actually did a really good game for what for he the, had for the for the the the, the, idi- the, the just the idiotically short amount of time yep. that he had to develop that game. Okay. The stupid short amount of time that he had to work on that. Um, Howard Scott Warshaw, he is a, he, he's a wonderful character, a, just a great gentleman to, to listen to from the stories. And, uh, he always paints such a vivid picture of what it was like to work at Atari and, uh, and, and essentially be a game developer in the heyday of the, of the video game, um, of the, of, I guess the golden days of, of the video game industry. So we really hope you enjoy it. Uh, again, as we mentioned on the last panel uh, discussion from PRGE, this is an open air recording. Uh, I did the absolute best that I could with my recorder. I got it real close to the speaker, so I don't think it's bad. Uh, but uh, ultimately, it's it's not quote unquote studio production quality. But we will definitely work on it and get it as as good as we can. So, um, with that, we give you Howard Howard Scott Warshaw, and we really hope you enjoy it. Hello, how you doing? Excellent. All right, A little energy in the room. I'm Howard Scott Warshaw. Many of you may or may not know me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in the true spirit of interactive entertainment, which is, you know, what we were doing at Atari, we were kind of breaking new ground, right, in the field of interactive entertainment. That's the way I look at it. So I decided that today what I'm going to do is a very interactive presentation. So you, you are going to be part of the presentation today. I hope you're all prepared. Did you, did you make notes? Okay, so the first thing I want to say is I have a very important public service announcement. And that is, I just found out on the floor that there is actually 
So I have to tell you how this happened. Is I literally I went up to one of the uh, one of the booths where they're selling games. Said, "Hey, you have any 2600 games?" And they go, "Yeah." And so I do what I do a lot of times. Go, "Hey, do you have any Yars Revenge?" And uh, they go, "Yeah, yeah, we do." I say, "Have any ETs?" He goes, "Yeah, I, I think we have a couple." He goes, "Yeah, you know the uh, the guy who made those was here, and he was telling us about how he was he worked on a fellow also. He was going to sign a fellow for it." I said, really? I said, the guy who did Yars Revenge and E.T. was here? Was he really here? He goes, yeah. I said, I heard he did Raiders of the Lost Ark too. And they go, yeah. Yeah, he did. I said, he didn't do Othello though. They go, yeah, he did. He was here. No, I said, no, I, I'm pretty sure he did not do Othello. <laughs> and he goes, no, he said he did. I said, well, and I actually, I took out my driver's license. And I said, well, actually, you know, I'm Howard Scott Warshaw. <laughs> I said, I think I know what games I did. <laughs> but apparently there's some guy going around saying he's me signing cards. So if you're going to get an autograph, make sure you authenticate it. <laughs> so now with, next time somebody goes up to someone at the autograph thing says, can I see your driver's license first? That's going to be an interesting moment. <laughs> so that's my public service announcement. But uh, interactive entertainment. So we can do this a number of different ways. So one thing I have is I have a book that I'm writing. I don't know how many of you have heard about it. I'm actually writing a book about my experience on Atari's, the impact I had at Atari and the impact Atari had on me, which still is going on. It's an ongoing thing. Atari is a part of my life that never stops, as all of you are testament to. Thank you. So. Uh, I can read some of that. I can actually read an excerpt from the book if you have any interest in that. Uh, I can also just talk to you some about games and gaming and what that means and nowadays versus old days. Or we can just do Q&A. So I'd like you to let me know what you're interested in. So do you guys want to do some Q&A at any point? Okay, that's always fun. I like the dynamic question aspect. Are you interested at all in hearing anything from the book? Yes. Yes. Actually, you are. Okay. So we can do is I can read a few pages. I can read some of it, and then we can say, you want to hear more or not? We can stop, and we can gauge that, how that goes. And uh, uh, the interactive entertainment thing, I just think it is an interesting thing to talk about briefly, is interactive entertainment. There's one thing that keeps coming up, is people go, you know, you did one of the first movie conversions. And you did one of the most notorious movie conversions. <laughs> and uh, the idea of mixing movies and video games is a topic that keeps coming up. And people are still trying to do it. Now, it, there's certainly video games that have cutscenes in them. And so that's one way to mix movies and video games. And that's true, but can you really mix? Can you have an interactive movie, which has been the goal since Hollywood and video games squared off across the aisle and kept kind of trying to look on each other's paper? which I think has been going on for a long time. And it's my hypothesis that that's impossible, that will never happen. That there's no such thing as the interactive movie. How many of you believe that's true? All right, how many of you believe that's baloney and there's no way, of course, there's such a thing as an interactive movie? That's what video games are. Video games are interactive movies? The best ones are. Well, that, you can look at it that way. And there is Bandersnatch, right? which is basically Dragon Quest, right? Dra Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair, updated, right? And that's cool, but I, I, would, I would postulate that that is actually a video game, 
where the payoff is cutscene. An interactive movie, here's why I think there's no such thing. It's because of the nature of entertainment. If you think about it, movies are inherently a passive medium, right? The contract you have between the entertainer and the entertainee, to with the audience, is that I'm gonna give you my attention and you are gonna take me on a journey and I'm gonna judge you as to whether or not it's a good journey or not. And then I'm gonna go online and give you a lot of feedback as to whether it was any good. <laughs> so that's kind of the contract that we have with movies. With games, the onus is on the player. The player determines the journey. It's interactive by nature. So in the one case, you have a passive medium. In the other case, you have an active medium. And I don't think there's such a thing as a passive active medium. As many of you may well know, I'm a therapist now. I'm a psychotherapist and practicing for a number of years. Uh, some people say I became a therapist primarily to address the depression and the trauma that I created with the ET game. And I think that's a reasonable take. A reasonable take on it. And uh, no, no, no need to thank me. It's, it was my obligation. And I, I'm willing to fulfill it. Take up the mantle. But uh, so there is passive aggressive behavior. I'm very familiar with that. Right? But if you think about it, active passive doesn't really make sense. Usually it's one or the other. And that's why I think there's no such thing as a truly interactive movie. Because if you have to get up and start changing the channel in the middle of your entertainment experience, you're not being entertained. You're now playing. And that's a different thing. So I just want to throw that out because I think that's an interesting thing that comes up. And Bandersnatch is a very interesting exercise. And I'm not saying it isn't a worthwhile thing to do. The idea of a movie where you choose which way it goes is an interesting thing to do. And what, it, what it's really designed for is to keep hardcore nerds busy for a long period of time. Because who isn't going to try and explore every path through Vandersnatch, right? And do you know how long that takes? I haven't calculated it yet, but I'm sure the people at Netflix know exactly how many minutes and seconds it is to explore the entire database. But it's a, I think it's an interesting idea. Just wanted to put that out there. Are there any questions right off the bat? Does anybody have any burning questions you came in here thinking I'm going to ask Howard that one? Yes? What was the expectation from uh, Steven Spielberg about what part of Raiders Lost Ark was going to be in the game? Did he have any expectations? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> okay, so the question was, you know, did Steven Spielberg have any specific expectations about what I would do with the movie? And actually, no. Like, not at all. We never even discussed the design of the game. Steven Spielberg is a pretty interesting guy, and what he does, at least to my experience, is when he knows how to get people who are good at what they do and let them do what they do. There are some people who run projects who don't know how to do that, and there are some people who run projects who do know how to do that. And there are good and bad people on either side of that. But Spielberg is definitely one of the people, like Stan Winston would be another example of somebody that, you pick someone who's really good with it, he lets them do their stuff and he works around that. So we met a couple of times during the development, but it was mostly to have lunch and chat and I gave him my, I literally had these pink sunglasses. So I remember one time he came up to visit, we were walking from one building to another, I said, hey Steven, check this out. And I had, I have rose colored glasses that I see the world through. And, it was a cloudy day, and the glasses made the clouds look really cool, and it was like a fun moment. But we really didn't talk about the game much. Uh, we talked about Yar's Revenge, 
when I first met him, when I first went down to interview basically to do uh, Raiders. And he was interested about that, but with Raiders, he just, he just liked what I had done before. Uh, he really liked the fact that I told him he was an alien, which I did. I haven't even heard that story. Have you guys heard the story before about him? Okay, well, when I went down to see, to meet Steven Spielberg for the first time, uh, it's a whole involved story, and that's covered in depth in the book, but uh, when I finally got to talk to him, uh, I told him, you know, Steven, I have this theory about you, about how you're an alien, would you like to hear it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I would like to hear that. <laughs> and so I said, okay, and so I just explained to him, you know, this was the early 80s, and it really felt like we were getting close to making contact with extraterrestrials. I said to him, you know, I figured the aliens, you know, if they, they show up, it's not going to be like War of the Worlds. You know, I, I figured they're going to send, if they're smart enough to get here and want to meet us or deal with us, they'll send an advance team. They'll send some people to culturalize the Earth to prepare us to meet them. And I said, look at you, you know, you make these movies where aliens are friendly and we're all engaged and, you know, between close encounters and E.T., they're really friendly movies and it's really great and it shows aliens in a nice light. And I said, so I figure you're like the production arm you know, of this advanced team, and then you have uh, your marketing team, you know, look, you know, these movies have been seen in every language all over the world, you know, I said, great marketing team, they're out there disseminating the word, getting it all over the place, and so now we're ready to meet the aliens in a more peaceful nature, so I just want to say, you know, nice job. And uh, I really think that got me the game. I think it was, that story was the thing more than anything else that I did that got me the thing. So that was it. But after that, there was very little interaction. On ET, I did have to go and present a design to him. And uh, that's actually also detailed, elaborate in the book. But there was no such presentation with Raiders. It was just, he said, I was going to do Raiders. That was okay. And I didn't see him for a few months. Good question. Yes, I'm back. I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about your process and just the crunch time of when you had to program ET. I did like the game as a kid, but when I found out that you had that crunch time and later did composing earlier in my life and had those crunch moments where I had to do something in a very truncated amount of time, it meant more to me. Um, and when I found out that story about you, which I don't know enough about, it was kind of a romantic Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, I didn't realize I was coming to Portland for a romantic interlude, but <laughs> I just want to say I'm open to the possibility. <laughs> you just say this first. I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah, okay. The process of working on ET by Howard Scott Warshaw. <laughs> so it's, it was an interesting thing, it was a challenge. You know, when I was told, you know, you have to do ET and you have to do it, and it was July 27th, and I was told for September 1st, you have to have the game for September 1st. It didn't take me long to figure that's like five weeks. And I thought, holy crap, you know, I've no, nobody had done a game in much less than six months at that point. And I thought, oh yeah, I can do this. No problem, because I don't know exactly what I was full of, but I was overflowing with it at this point, because I had already done Yars, which was, which was very well received, and Raiders was, I was just finishing Raiders, and that was looking really good, and Spielberg liked it, so 
I was good with that. And so now we want to do ET and we want to do it in like really fast. And I thought, okay. So I committed to doing it before I really thought about doing it. Because that's where I was. And then when I started to think about it, I realized that you think of it as, wow, you know, that's a really tough programming problem, right? To do that much code and all that and get all that together in that short a time. But it really isn't a programming problem. It's a design problem, right? Usually the design process for making a VCS game is you start experimenting with techniques and you think of some kind of gameplay and you start playing with it, you put it up on the screen, you start working with it and you manipulate it, you tune it, and you, you add things, you subtract things, and you take as long as you need, and the goal is to make a good game. And the variable is how much time does it take. But that wasn't the case here. In this case, the goal was to finish a game in five weeks. That's it, just to get something done, like done done, in five weeks. And the variable is how good a game are you gonna make. That's an inversion in your design concept, but as long as you're aware of that, you can work with it. So that's the way I, I approached it. The first thing I thought was, okay, so I'm not just trying to make uh, a, a good game, which would normally be my goal. My goal is to figure out something that I can do in five weeks and see if I can make that playable. And that was, that was the essence of the approach, right? And the rest is just details that some people, have, you know, everybody has their own opinion about it. But I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed the game. But uh, the other part of the thinking about it is, okay, so you don't have much time, so you have to do something that's doable in a certain amount of time, but you want to give it life. You want to give it legs, as they say. So most action games require a lot of tuning to really have the right feel and the right pacing. And that takes time. Because the other thing I realized about this was, uh, I was, I was mildly delusional, okay, to say, sure, I'll do a game in five weeks, but I wasn't totally balls-to-the-wall psychotic, okay? So what I realized was, you know, I'm probably going to be able to go as far as what we call first playable. Right now, first playable is a place usually where game development begins. Right, in game development, you have a design, you have a basic play you're going for, and you start putting the game together, and at some point, the graphics can look horrible, you can have just little blocks or X's for things, but you get to a point where every element of the game is represented, and you've approximated their motion and the rules of the game there, and for the first time, you can actually get the experience of playing the game, right? That's called first playable. And that should come anywhere between like 20 to 50% into this game schedule. And the rest of the schedule is where you're actually making the game. Right now you're doing things to improve the game or to rework the game or you're, you're making knowledgeable decisions about the game because you have a chance to play the game. And that's great. So most games are mostly the tuning and rumination and figuring out what to do. What I realized was I'm not going to have that. That's just not going to exist. So what it does, it puts all the pressure on the design because basically I'm going to be able to do first playable and then I'm going to have to release that. So, what's something I can do that I'll be able to hit the target and I won't need too much tuning? And what it occurred to me was, you know, a treasure hunt game. A treasure hunt game is a great game. You have stuff to hide and you have places to hide it, and you have the protagonist who's the player who's running around trying to find it and assemble it, and then you have antagonists. You have something, some kind of obstruction or obstacle that's barring you. 
And so I thought, okay, when you do a game like that, if you have like N things to hide and M places to hide it, then you have like M combinations of N possible game layouts. So you can make a relatively short play game, which is you do a round of finding the treasure, putting it together, doing whatever you need to it, and depositing it in the bank abstractly. And then if that's fun, if you make that exercise fun, then you randomize it, which is very quick to do, and hand it back to the player again and say, here, do it again. Do it as many times as you want. And so that was the idea, is doing a short, simple game that's replayable. And if I have enough places to hide stuff, which is why there's all the pits, it can, the game can have life if it gets regenerated. So, and as for why it's tough to fall back in the pits, not that anybody was gonna ask that question, but as for you know why that's tough, it's like, yeah, I did look at that originally, and I thought, ah, you know, maybe that's not a great game mechanic, but in my mind, I thought, oh my God, there's hardly any gameplay here. I need gameplay, it's gotta be gameplay somewhere in this game. And I thought, okay, so navigating your way and learning to work around the pits, it's a little tough, but that's your gameplay. And I specifically left that in that way because that gave me the illusion of gameplay in the game. And I'm not saying that was a brilliant choice, and I am not saying that was a tremendous foresight on my part, but that was the thinking. But I tried to come up with something that I could do, and on top of that, it wasn't enough just to do the game. Be, me being who I am, I thought, well, what am I gonna do that's breakthrough? What can I do that's innovative? Because I always want to do something groundbreaking in every game that I do. And so the things that I did in ET, because it was expedient, that turned out to be somewhat groundbreaking, I think it was one of the first 3D gaming worlds, right? Because ET is played on a cube. And the cube is reliable, and you go, you know, wherever you go on the cube, it makes sense to go to the next screen. So it actually had a 3D playing world in a sense. It also had contact-sensitive power, right? You know, you run around the screen, and depending on where you are, that's what your power activation does. I don't know if anybody had done that before either in a game. So having context-sensitive capabilities in addition to a 3D world, so that was my nod to breakthrough. But in terms of being groundbreaking, Actually, how many of you have seen the movie Atari Game Over? Has anybody seen that? Okay, in that movie, they basically prove that about 30 years later, E.T. was totally a groundbreaking game. So I just want to say, I think I achieved the goal. So, does that answer your question? That's kind of a long way around. Yes, over here. You guys are lucky in my opinion. Two people designed the hardware on the 2600, I'm the one who's still alive. Doesn't matter who I am. In my opinion, the top four original games, not ports from the arcades, the top four, River Raid by Carol, who is not here, Adventure by Robinette, who is not here, the other two are in the room. Dave Crane, Pitfall, he did Yara's Revenge, top four, bar none. Well, let's hear it for David Crane. I'd ask him to stand up, but he's so tall you can already see him there. Thank you, Joe, who I don't know who you are. That's... What a spontaneous and wonderful contribution. I, I really appreciate that. Two of the four right here. But I gotta say, the high praise. It is an honor to have someone who is a designer of the hardware consider one of the works that I did an important work on it. So thank you. I really mean that. Always.
Yes, you were next. So you brought up Bandersnatch. So give me an alternative timeline. Had you turned down the gig, what would be the best or the worst thing that would have happened? What, what would have started down with the license afterwards, in your opinion? Uh, if I, you mean if I hadn't done ET? Yeah, would they give it to somebody else, or would they have abandoned it, or I tried to give it to someone else. <laughs> I mean, there was, no one else was going to do it. I mean, there was literally a meeting we had about the third day in the schedule, where it was announced that I was doing ET, and everybody was like, oh, Howard gets to ET, just did Raiders. You know, and it was like, great thing. I don't like to do great things. So, and I'm, I'm an equal opportunity dude. I gotta say, so what I did was I stood up in that meeting and I said, hey, I said, anybody who wants this game, I said, this game is due September 1st. I said, anybody who wants it, you can have it. Just raise your hand, you can have it. Crickets, right? That was the last time anybody complained to me about doing ET. Which is not to say that there were people didn't discuss it. Everybody spent the next five weeks saying, Howard's crazy, he's out of his mind. <laughs> it was just it was a crazy thing to do, but you know, crazy guy. And it was to me it was very important to do. But if I wouldn't have done it, I think what would have happened was Atari would have basically lost twenty two million bucks on the license. Because it was uh, you know, nobody else was gonna touch it. And they felt it absolutely had to be there for the Christmas market. And that was sort of prescient in and of itself because that was the last season of good sales for the BCS games, I believe. They're here. Uh, me first? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is more for the therapist stuff uh, for you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I asked you a question on something where I was being, I, I was tapped to do an observation on one of our pilots for the airline, and it was going to come down to my determination whether or not we kept it or not. And your advice, which was, this guy isn't fitting in with the team. What do I need to do here? How do I go about this? And you said, you need to look at it from a different direction, which was, is the team right for him? That little bit of information changed everything. And long story short, he's uh, now a captain of our airline and is doing great. I just did his first uh, his, uh, annual observation uh, on him, and it was what your advice was, everything. Thank you. Wow, great question. So, thank you. Uh, for those of you who may not have heard what he said, he basically said I'm a fabulous therapist, uh, to summarize. But uh, I have two words for you in response to what you said, that, and this comes straight from my heart. No charge. <laughs> yes? What was your real reaction did you really get depressed? Did I really get depressed? My reaction to E.T. is a very long and unfolding story. But since you're all here, uh, it's a tricky thing. I mean, you could write an entire book about what it would take, you know, how that went on in my life and stuff. And in fact, I am writing that book. So I'm hoping you're all gonna, how many of you are interested in a book that I would write about my experience with ET? If you actually, how many of you would pay $9.95 to read that book? Just wanna check. Okay, cool. Then I'll finish the book. But I'll give you some preview. Uh, an important thing to understand is that ET as a failure, as a horror story and all that, didn't really occur till much later. So I finished ET, September 1st, 
1982. For the next four months, or five months, I'm not hearing anything but good stuff. Right? For one thing, everybody can't, nobody can believe I actually finished the game and it got through Q&A and it, and it went out and it was good. So that was great, everybody was happy about that. And then the next feedback I really had about the game was it was like near the top on the billboard chart sales. Again, not bad feedback. So, so far it's all good. It wasn't until early in 1983 when amazing amounts of returns were coming back and it was starting to look uh, a little weird that there was some feedback, but no one was saying worst game of all time or anything like that. You need the internet for something like that. And there, there, was, there was no internet yet for many years, right? So it was like, it was there, but the thing I would hear is people would be coming up to me, people from other buildings would come up and they'd be walking through engineering, which they did occasionally, particularly after I got rid of the whip that I was using on Raiders of the Lost Ark. We saw them a lot more frequently after that. And, uh, and they would say things like, you know, how we don't blame you. <laughs> we don't blame you. It's really not, you, you really came through for us. And I'd be like, thanks, thanks. And they'd walk away and I'd think, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> I had no idea, but I mean, that happened a few times. It's just an interesting phenomenon. And then I found out later, I realized, oh, there's a lot of returns. But we didn't get a lot of sales feedback in engineering. What we heard mostly in engineering was, where's the next game? Where is it? Come on, We're, you know, let's have it. That's what we heard mostly. So it wasn't bad. And then, you know, years later, it was many years later, and, and the, the web, the internet, and top 10 lists, and E.T. is the horrible game, and, and then in 1995, New Media Magazine actually, you know, wrote this whole article saying, that E.T. single-handedly toppled a billion dollar industry. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding, 8K of code topples the industry? <laughs> Going right on my resume, right? <laughs> So, and I started to deal with it like I deal with most things with my sense of humor, right? And I started to think, you know, I don't really think it's the worst game, you know? I don't think E.T. is the worst game by a long stretch, but I prefer when people call it the worst game. I like it when people say E.T. is the worst game, because I did Yars Revenge. Yars Revenge is frequently cited as one of the best games of all time. So as long as E.T. is the worst game of all time, I got the greatest range of any designer in history. You know? And I'm proud of that. That's cool. Right? So I have one game that's in the New York Museum of Modern Art, and I have one game that's the sub-flooring of the New Mexico desert. <laughs> and then I have Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, so I, I feel very comfortable about that. But eventually, I mean, I carried this for a long time. And uh, when we did the movie Atari Game Over, and and I didn't know what was gonna come out with that. That was kind of an interesting experience because I, I did many, many hours of interviews with you know, Zach Penn, the guy who directed that. He's like an A-list Hollywood writer and a pretty experienced director. The producers of that have like two Emmys and an Oscar between them. This was like a really high-end production. And if you've ever looked at Zach Penn's other movies, they're mockumentaries. And I thought, God, no! <laughs> because I like opened my heart, I really put a lot of stuff out there, and I thought, oh no, if this guy wants to do a hatchet job, I'm dead. I am dead. So I didn't know what it was gonna be. And I didn't get any a chance to see anything about it or nothing about it until Comic-Con in uh, 2014, like I think September of 2014. 
And I'm at Comic-Con, and I'm meeting some of the people from the production staff from the movie, and they're walking around, they're coming up, and they're going, you're really gonna be happy with this movie. You're really gonna like this movie. And for some reason, what came to mind, what I would hear when they would say that, I would hear, don't worry, Howard. Nobody blames you. <laughs> it was just, it was really uh, nerve-wracking. And then they actually had the premiere. They had a premiere, and I was there, and some other people from the movie were there, and Nolan Bushnell was there. My old pal, Nolan Bushnell, who I never knew at Atari, but have come to know since Atari. And so we were sitting right next to each other, we're watching the movie. Great movie, by the way. Just have to say that Howard guy was really something. And uh, and they finished the movie, and they're introducing people. And he introduces the people from the movie, and they get applause. They get applause. Then he introduces Nolan Bush now, and people applaud for Nolan. And then he introduced me, and there's like a one-minute standing ovation, and I got choked up. I really did. I just. I get choked up now just thinking about it. And in that moment, I realized how intense carrying that had been for so long. I never wanted to admit it. I never wanted to uh, honestly share that with myself. And I'm a therapist for God's sake. <laughs> but uh, I really realized in that moment how it really was kind of tough carrying that for so long, and this movie was a vindication in a lot of ways, because they really told the story pretty straight, which most people don't do. Not that it's gender fluid, but I mean, it just, that's the way it goes. And so, uh, it was, there was a, an aspect that was difficult that I kind of hid within myself for a long time, and then finally came out and sort of dealt with it, and I'm cool with it now. But it was, uh, it was interesting. There was a number of very emotional things about E.T. And in the movie, you see, I get very emotional when the games actually come up. And they're shown there. And a lot of people think, oh, oh they found the game, oh God. You know, that's not really what the emotion was about. What it was about, honestly, was, you know, I always looked at video games as a piece of broadcast media. That's the way I, everybody has their own way of looking at games. But to me, it's a piece of broadcast media. And the goal of broadcast media, in my opinion, is to inform, to entertain, and ultimately to generate social discourse. You know, that's like the highest form of media, is to get people talking about it. And I realized that, you know, after 30 years, there was still this huge crowd of people that was super interested in this thing. This, this little thing that I had done in five weeks, all that time ago, was still generating this amount of press and interest, and, and people had traveled from far away to see, what is this? Is, this? is there actually anything there? Is this what's going on? And in that moment, people were so excited, so happy, and so much going on, I thought, yeah, this thing that I did long ago is still making people happy. It's still creating special moments for people. And that was tremendously meaningful for me. And I'm such like a wuss, so when I, you know, when it wells up, it pours out, and that's just the way it goes with me. Does that answer your question? Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes? Any thoughts getting back in the game? Back in the game of games? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Next one? No. <laughs> I do, and I am definitely not going to do an E.T. Three minutes. Don't worry about that. I'm done with ET. I've had enough of ET. Uh, 
E.T. for my entire life, except for talking about E.T. I'm okay with talking about E.T. And actually, people ask me, like, what would you do to fix E.T.? And some of that has been done, right? That people have put out an updated version of E.T. And uh, so that was kind of fun. And I got to play that on set at that movie. But I am thinking of doing, I will get there, I promise you. I am thinking of doing a Yars Revenge sequel that I had designed in my head back at Atari. I've never seen the gameplay done. It's a new, original gameplay. Nobody's ever done it before. I think it'd be very compelling. And I'm thinking of doing something like that. So to that extent, I would get back into gaming. Anybody but Dan? <laughs> Dan, you had a question, but... So to be honest, it's a real question. What's that? Is your new game gonna have holes? Is it going to have holes? More holes you can get stuck in? I mean, people got to have something to complain about, for God's sake. Or it just wouldn't be a game. No, the, the real question is, when do you anticipate doing a new game? That's a really good question. Which brings me to another topic I want to discuss, which is the lessons that I learned on ET. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned doing ET is don't rush a project if you want it to be good. So like my book, I was gonna have that done, you know, for this convention. I, you know, a year ago when I started writing it, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have it done by then. And it's not done, but it's gonna be a better book for them. And so in terms of when that game is gonna come out, I haven't even started that game yet. So I don't know, but that game is not gonna be rushed. I would say look forward in the conservatively one and a half to three year time frame, I would say that's probably likely. A lot of that time is gonna be me not getting to it, I would say. But does that answer your question fairly? Because that is a good question. That's a tough one. Put me on the spot. I'm used to being on the spot. Okay, yes. Um, yes, I'm a senior software engineer, and a large part of my job is to mentor a lot of juniors. Uh, do you have any advice for like someone getting into the software field as far as like navigating the business? Or uh, it sounds like Joe Rush Project is really great advice. <laughs> Don't rush a project is great advice. Don't tell your manager about that advice, though. <laughs> But so, and getting into software or getting into game software? Uh, well, I've worked in like business software, so I'm not in the games industry, but just engineering. Okay. So, you know, the advice that I would have for someone getting into software is find someone who really knows what they're doing, someone you really respect, and listen to them. Because they will tell you what you're doing wrong, and they will tell you how to avoid other problems in the future. And so that's like the best idea. And as a senior uh, programmer or a senior engineer, you know, you're there to mentor your people. You know, so what I would ask you, you know, the therapist in me would say, well, what do you think is the most important thing you have to convey to the people who work under you? You know, aside from watch out for my feet. No, that wasn't a good one, okay, fine. They're not all gems, but, but I'm trying, I'm trying out here. So, you know, and that's, that's really one of the key things. It's, uh, there's very little general advice you can give because each kind of job you do in software is so different and so unique. Software in some ways is the same everywhere you go because it's all just code. 
right? But on another level, what you're doing, what you're doing it for, who you're doing it for, what's your level of commitment to it, what's your level of engagement with it, how familiar are you with the customer, how much do you care about your customer, because we don't always have to care about our customer, it depends on what we're doing. Those, those are all factors that go into, you know, the quality that I'm going to deliver as a software engineer. And different uh, jobs call on different parts of that. So, I think that's it. There was one over here, wasn't there? We had a withdrawal, okay. Okay, way back there and then we'll come up here. Yeah, uh, so we had three games now, that's right. Were there any other projects that you worked on that didn't get published that you wish had been published? What an interesting question. Were there any other games? How many of you think I have done three games for Atari? How many of you think I have done four games for Atari? How many of you think I've done 15 games for Atari? Holy crap. How many of you think I've only done two games for Atari? This is a tough crowd. Okay, I actually did four games for Atari, but one of them wasn't released until 20 years later. I think I have the longest development schedule in history based on that. It was a game called Saboteur. And this was the game that I did after ET, after I got over my burnout after ET, which took a little while. And it was a cool game. But it, and it, was, it was getting ready to go, it was almost done, and then Atari said, wait, we've got an A-Team license, let's use Howard's game for the A-Team. So we yanked the graphics and we reworked the game and made it all for a giant Mr. T head that you ran around with and that was kind of cool. And then they were getting ready to release that and they go, oh wait, we're not gonna do the A-Team license, that's ridiculous, let's go back to saboteurs. Then we, we worked the game back to Saboteur, working on finishing it, and then basically they sold Atari to the Tremels, and that was pretty much the end of game development at Atari. So I nearly finished it. This was my unfinished symphony, right? But what happened was when they put out the, uh, the joystick retro system, somebody dug out my uh, Saboteur code and put that out, and that's on. So the Saboteur, I believe, is on one of the joysticks, and it was... Uh, Actually, it was Al Yaruso, is a guy from Atari Age, who uh, actually got it together and put together a cart and did a release of a 2600 cart. Some of you may actually have a copy of the Saboteur. There's at least one. I've signed it, so I know it's out there. And uh, so that was it. So I've actually did four games for Atari, but I wasn't at Atari when the last one was released. But I do think 20 years is probably the longest, so I have not only the shortest development cycle for the 2600, I also have the longest one. So, I didn't even really think about that before. Thank you. How are we doing? Wow. This is going good. So, there was a question over here. So, I was going to ask exactly the same question. The same question? Well, then let me just say, ditto. Yes. Weren't there actually five games? There were not actually five games. Othello. Oh. <laughs> That's it. I met Othello the other day, walking around the floor, saying he was me. But a guy named Howard autographed mine. Yeah, I'm going to have to go out there and get my autograph from somebody. That would be, that would be quite an experience. Yes? So the four games you did, what was the most technically challenging to put together, time notwithstanding? Time notwithstanding, I would say that Raiders of the Lost Ark was the most technically challenging. 
that was, there was a lot of pretty elaborate techniques I developed for that. The CT flies and the snake were kind of very cool effects, I thought, on the machine. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I think Saboteur had some of the tightest kernel work that I did. But I, I think Raiders was probably one of the most challenging things because, and it was just trying to create a game. Here's the thing about doing uh, adventure games. Like Warren Robinette, I totally agree with Joe. I mean, Warren Robinette is, did a genre-defining work in adventure. So when I was gonna do an adventure game, uh, I thought, I, I don't like to do something unless I'm really gonna make a contribution with it. That's just very important to me. I don't like doing knockoffs, which was what really offended me when I presented my whole design to Spielberg for the ET game, and he goes, couldn't you do something more like Pac-Man? And I was like, what? You want me to do, I was gonna say, well, couldn't you do something more like the day the Earth stood still, Steven? You know? But I didn't say that because this was Steven Spielberg and I wasn't that far gone. But I was close. I was really close. But uh, I wanted to do something that was a real contribution. And doing something that beyond adventure is a huge task. And I think, I, so I wanted to make the biggest game there was on the 26th. I wanted to make something that was so big and so vast with so many different gameplays and so much going on that you know people couldn't believe it. And I think to this day there's still, there are two games that qualify in the adventure category that are like that. And I think, so I, I believe I succeeded with Raiders in creating something that was huge. But I did it in a way of trying to make it as broad and different and unique and stuff like that. There was another game that was done that just went for the most screens you can do, and it was done in a very smart way, that way. And if you look back a few rows behind you to your, uh, to your right, you'll see David Crane, who did Pitfall. And that's usually known as the biggest uh, adventure game on the system. So congratulations, Dave. Nice work. It is a great game. The key defining thing about doing a real adventure game when you're trying to do it is like when you do an action game, I think if you do an action game well, you can have the player's experience. You can actually have the experience of any player, and so you can judge your game, you can gauge your game, and, and you can tune it well. When you do an adventure game, like a puzzle-solving game where you have to figure things out and, 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 and uncover secrets, if you're the secret maker, you can never have the experience of a player. So how do you judge your game? How do you gauge how you're doing? How do you check how hard it is? It's really hard to do that. You can't have the first person experience when you design an adventure game. And that's a really tough thing about designing a game, right? So when you do action games, you can reliably tune your game. When you do an adventure game, you don't have that opportunity. So you have to rely on feedback of others and watching people play. And anytime someone's played it, you have to throw them out and find somebody new to play. You know, beyond that, it's, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. But I just wanted to put that out there. So that, that was the most challenging thing about Raiders. I think we've got time for one more. Uh, how did the elements of Yar's Revenge get their names? Did you come up with Yar and Kokile? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because that's a couple of chapters in the book right there. Uh, the naming of Yar's Revenge didn't happen until the very end of the game. I just made what I thought were eye-popping, glittery stuff, and I tried to use my economics degree more than my engineering degree in the making of Yar's Revenge because I just looked for super economical stuff, like the ion zone in Yar's Revenge is the code from the cart. I just picked up code from the cart, put it in the graphics register, and then I put it in the color register so I didn't have to do extra grabs, and it was just, that was the kind of stuff that I would do, and it turned out to look cool, so I said, great. I got free graphics and fewer cycles, it's all good. 
So when it came to naming stuff in the game, I was really excited about it. Because one of the things on my bucket list is make a contribution to the English language. And when I found out it was time, I was doing a game and people liked the game and it might be a cool game, I thought, hey, I'm gonna name this character. And if this, if this game gets really big, this character might actually become common parlance and everyone will know this thing and bingo, I get to contribute a word to the English language. And I thought, yeah, this is my opportunity. So I started thinking, what am I gonna call it? What am I gonna call it? What am I gonna call it? And when you try to make up a word, whatever you think of sounds stupid. At least it did to me. So what I did was I went back to the programmer brain and instead of trying to just make something up, I, I decided let's go algorithmically. Let me think of a way to, to define a name. And what I thought of was, what's a name around Atari that nobody's gonna mess with? And I thought, Ray Kazar, that's the name of the CEO of Atari. That's a name people don't wanna mess with. What's Ray spelled backwards? Yar, oh, that fits, that sounds nice, that should work. What's Kazar backwards? Rayzak, all right. And so then I wrote a whole story. I wrote a story about the Yarian revenge of Rayzak IV, the planet that was destroyed, and that's what the Ion Zone is, the remnants of that planet. And I wrote a whole story that goes along with the name because a name and a story is stronger than just a name. And then the other parts of the game I just made up. I, <laughs> I made up Kotile as the monster because I always wanted to have, I always liked the idea of cues without a U after it because I hate rules. But you'll find the most innovators are rule breakers. You know, they're people with boundary issues. And so I just don't like that. And uh, the Zorlon canon, you know, Zs and Ys are really good in science fiction. If you can't use a Q, Go with a Z or a Y. And so that's why I kind of came with Zorlon because it's like, if Zorlon isn't a canon, it's definitely gonna be a synthetic fabric of some sort that maybe they invented. And uh, that's basically where the names came from. First one was, was basically a play on, on Yar, on Ray Kazar, so that I could push it through marketing. And the other ones I did just make up. Like most of this talk. So I think we are out of time here. So I just want to say thank you all so much for coming in. I'm going to be autographing stuff. Oh. And my, my wife would get very upset if I don't tell you I did the, you know, here's my Once Upon Atari DVD, which I will have for sale over at the autograph thing. This is the only piece of media that only has people who worked on the VCS talking about what it was like to really be a game designer at Atari. It was, was intense. But thank you all so much for your time and attention. I really appreciate it. Whitney, I'm sure everybody enjoyed that seminar yeah, from uh, Mr. Warshaw. Yes. I know I did. <laughs> The the PG P, well, I was gonna say PGRC that ain't right I don't even know where that comes from PRGE PRGE thank yeah. you yeah that that show tends to really pull in oh it's yeah. the the all stars oh, if you will yes and, and, that, and just just wait we've got we've got more where this comes where this comes from because. I was able to record every session I went to, and uh, once I spoke with uh, with their their management, they said, "Yeah, that's that's fine to release it. Just credit it." And uh, yeah, we've got probably four or five more sessions that are top bill, just like David Crane and Howard Howard Scott Warshaw and Gary Kitchen and Dan Kitchen. It just it goes on and on and on. So it's it's good stuff. It is, and, and you know, if you're an old a long time listener to the show or even new to the show uh, that we have always, even though we tend to 
say pin and video, even in our sort of our tagline as it is now, we've always really kind of kept a, a toe in the water of console, classic oh, yeah. console yeah, type yeah. stuff. And, I, I love it. I know, love it. We've talked about Dreamcast several times on this show, yes. this very episode rather, not yeah. the show in general, but yeah. uh, Atari always seems to make its way in there. And every once in a while, I'll huck a Commodore in there. <laughs> and man, it's I mean, good stuff. It is. It's good stuff. I absolutely I, love I it. I have... Part of that 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 desire to to climb back through the the Commodore collection is I, I've really kind of had an eye in the game room down here as to like where could I put like my own little Commodore kiosk? Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, I've even is a quick side note before we get into the news. This the, it has recently come to the U.S. and people in the U.K. and I guess the general European market have already seen. I think it's called the 64. It's available on Amazon. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. In fact, I have a, a buddy of mine that I work with sent me a link to it, and I looked at it. And you know, the keyboard doesn't is non-functional. On that. No, no, no. You're talking about the, the there's a new one oh, that new is one. functional. Oh, it is. Because you're talking about the Mini. I'm talking, talking about the Mini. Yes. Right. So it looks like a Commodore 64, but it's scaled down by okay. like a quarter. Okay, now now I, now you're going to so, make me get my web browser out. So the same yeah. company, and and... I've not gone and and actually looked at it because I, I, I do, as I understand right now, you, you can get it on Amazon. It's in, it's a pre-buy. So it isn't shipping yet, but it was yeah. just recently made available okay. on Amazon in the United States. It's been available in the UK for, for a bit, a couple of months at this point, but it's supposed to be full size like faithful to the size of the original 64 full functional keyboard if i recall correctly and i'm i'm pulling a lot of this from memory from sprite castle from from rob o'hara covering this yeah <clears throat> pardon me if i recall correctly it's still got the the original like den style inputs oh, for here, disk drive and all here that. It is. I just found it. But it's HDMI out. Oh my gosh, man. This is $130. It releases on November 5, 2020. It's, I'm ordering one. Send, I'm put the link one. in the show notes. I'm going to put a link in the show For listeners notes. and so that I can do it because actually when I was on a walk not too long ago, Whitney can't hear this. I was on a walk not too long ago with the show dog Maxine and uh-huh. I was listening to Rob's show and he talked about it and I tried to find it, but I actually almost got hit by a car. So I had to <laughs> put my phone away, you know, cause I got to an intersection and it's a, it's, it's a neighborhood. It's not real busy, but still, yeah. you know, it's dangerous and yeah. I'm an idiot. All right. So... <laughs> It's like you bear all on your show. We've, man, we have over the years. Uh, oh, there's, we're pretty transparent. Yeah. I mean, we are. I, I'm, no I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that we had a swing and a miss here on a birthday show. We might have to have a belated birthday kind of re- seven year. The seven year itch show. Se- <laughs> yeah. Something like that. It's, yeah. it's not one of the capital, like, like five, 10, 20 yeah. type years. But, but it's, still, a mile, it's a milestone. Seven years doing a. Yeah. Seven of, years here in your basement, dude. Can you believe the, it? Of the shows in our genre, who's been out there longer? Retro Gaming Roundup, Retro Gaming for sure. Roundup, for sure. And, and they just recently had a 10. So they're probably, yeah. at this point, they're probably 11 years in. Yeah. Genre-wise, um, 
one contiguous show. Not what, not. I did a show, then I'm redoing a show, but it's still me. I don't. I don't really know of that many. It, I don't know of anybody I, of anybody that. Yeah, even I'm. Th- I'm thinking about even like pinball podcasts, and unfortunately, they come and go like. Yeah, <laughs> like like the sands in the hourglass. I mean, there's right, been some or otherwise. There's been some co- people that have been common across certain some shows, but yeah. I'm talking a single contiguous show outside, with the same outside, name branding. Yeah, everything. outside of Retro Gaming Roundup, I don't know of any others. Seriously, um, I'll take second to RGR. Yes, no doubt. Now, one that I will mention that. If we start getting into like pop culture and stuff like that, then we get into like the retroist and, and, and other and other shows like that that are like far more mainstream. That's but, that's kind of not our. But that's not really that, that's getting outside our wheelhouse. Yeah, I would say retro gaming roundup and us are probably the two longest running that I know so far. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. So it just it doesn't seem like it was that long no, ago. No, it doesn't. It does not. No, it doesn't. But I did find the link for what you're talking about. It is in the show notes, and that is a Insta buy. We, so we is. had an inadvertent spend Brent's money. Yes, yeah, I didn't in mean the show. To. Where did you put it? Because I want to go look at it. it uh, you, you'll see it. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's right above uh, Avengers Infinity okay. Quest. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll pop in there in just a second. So you mentioned Avengers Infinity Quest, and you know, here in the last segment of the show. Uh, we wanted to touch on a little news. We normally do some feedback in this section, but uh, we had a whole section of feedback at yeah, the beginning of the show. So yeah, we'll yes, forgo we it for this for, for this episode. We will. We will. And uh, a couple things here. And I, I'm going to say this for people that are that are new to our show. We are not a news based show. We are not a current events style show. We're, yeah, we're not. We're not. We no. don't publish often enough no, to be current. We, we don't. We really don't. And we freely we recognize recognize that in fact we actually relish in that so uh because there are other podcasts out there that are timely from a week-to-week release standpoint and their format is the news of the week so i mean i'm sure you know who those are and there there's several and and you can you can get that new style format from them but we're, we're not but being a pot like a mixed gaming show of arcade and you know some consoles you know kind of sprinkled in there for as we go and then pinball we would be remiss to to not uh cover just a couple of the the highlights over the past month the first one uh is uh of course stern pinball releasing avengers infinity quest and it was revealed uh several weeks ago in fact i think it was revealed the day after we recorded our last episode <laughs> so timing is everything on that but um yeah, so at this time there's probably some additional pictures. I'm guessing there, there that, are. There I'm are. guessing the picture that's in the show note here, show notes here is the LE because yeah, it's, it's got powder coated legs. It, it and is lollipops and yeah, all that. Yeah, it's it's the yellow powder coated LE. And of course it, it does come in uh your standard pro premium LE packages and uh as I understand the LE sold out extremely quickly. Uh, Jack Danger did a reveal stream of the game uh, where they streamed a premium, and it was uh, it was fairly 
fairly well received. Um, it, it did have some comments on on just not going de- on not going deep enough into uh, the code up front and the rules of the game up front. They just they kind of started the stream and just went at it. But ultimately, uh, designed by Keith Elwin, uh, you know, art by Zombie Yeti, all of that was confirmed. Uh, the game, I, I mean, I've poured over this because this theme does speak to me. I I, I love what I see here. Um, some people have quoted this as a, a game that is um, more difficult than Iron Maiden, but not as difficult as Jurassic Park from a from a uh, a let's say a rule set complexity standpoint. But the question is, I mean, with this being Elwin's third game, did he just make game of the year? I I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I mean, it's comic books and it's Avengers and. I, <laughs> So I'm telling it, you, man, I'm loving what I see. I, I wasn't. I, am. I wasn't a comic person. I wasn't a comic kid. Yeah. Uh, is this? Of course, Zombie Yeti did it. So his art is fa- phenomenal. Oh, the let's art's just, just phenomenal. That yeah. that is assumed. Yes. But is this? like comic book style art it is okay yes All right. yes so if you think about like the star wars comic book yes. edition yep, yep, yep. this is right up that alley it's all comic book art uh, i love the style of it uh it, i think we'll, we'll have to see kind of where the call outs go and uh in, in the sounds i mean i watched a portion of the reveal stream and quite honestly, I wasn't overly impressed with the callouts, and wasn't overly impressed with the the sounds that that were that were, I guess, kind of showcased on the stream. Hopefully, there will be some additional work that's done to those to flesh those out to give us a bit more variety and and to really take advantage of the assets. But uh, what was nice, and I thought really played well into the theme, is the animations are all two D comic book style animations, so it fits very well with the overall art theme of the game. And it just looks like a super fun game to play. And Elwin's design, uh, he's got some very innovative uh, ramps in the game. It's all wire form, uh, which I thought was very interesting. And um, there's there's some very unique well, I kind of like that from a maintenance perspective because yes. you're not as susceptible to break it. That's exactly right. That's I mean, exactly it can right. happen, yeah. but it's very few and far between very, compared very to few. plastic ramps. That, that's exactly right. That's kind of neat. It, it is. And there's, there's some uh, there's some interesting interesting features here like uh, there's a uh, on the premium in the le's there is a uh, an rgb lit subway feature underneath the play field that that actually serves as a ball lock um there of course well, if it's under the play field how do you see the leds uh the play field's actually see-through okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, believe it or not, <laughs> like the whole Which, play field or just a portion? No, no, just that portion where where the subway. Or I mean, I meant is. a large portion of the yeah. play field, not the whole thing. No, no, no. Yeah. Not, no I was no. thinking more like the upper play field in a premium. Um, uh, the like, Steve Ritchie game, Black Knight, Black Knight, yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's it's a little bit like that in in insofar as the playfield has windows in it, and then the windows you can see the balls where they hit their locks and they hit their stops, and you can see it as the lock loads the balls. You can see the balls there, and then it's backlit RGB LED. So it, it's it's actually actually pretty cool. Does it have a wizard mode with an up kicker that breaks the glass? I uh, that's that's for <laughs> that's for code version one I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, zero point nine. <laughs> right now I'm sorry. so I, I had to it, it's, I, all, I'm so, it's all good all that you can do is laugh after the fact Whitney I'm sorry you, you know something man you, you got to take it and run with it I know um, it's not it's not enough to make me leave the hobby <laughs> although I did think about it a couple of times I'm not gonna lie I, I seriously thought about selling all of my pinball machines there for about a day and a half I seriously dude no no joke oh, wow I thought about just uh, uplifting them and just calling it done they're there for about a day or so day day and a half and, and it took me a little while to talk myself back because, dude, I'd 
put so much effort in shopping and modding the game, and it's almost like it spat back in my face, you know? Mm-hmm. And I took it. It does of, almost seem personal. It, it? I took it a little personal is what I did. Yeah, I, get I, it. I really did. Yeah. I get it. But uh, anyway, so Avengers Infinity Quest, it looks like it's going to be a slam dunk. Um, it's, it looks like it's got a lot of legs. Uh, the premium. At least four. At least four. The premium and the pros. Um, the artwork package is completely different from each other. The premiums artwork package is very reminiscent of the LE package, just in a different color format. Uh, it just it just looks like a great game. So very excited to see. So where are you that talking goes. like playfield artwork or cabinet? Because uh, cabinets are usually different, but the playfields are the same. Yeah. So premium LEs, the playfields are exactly the same. Pro the pro is um, well, you the, said play artwork. Fields. You said artwork. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. let, let me qualify. Okay. Okay. Um, the pro playfield artwork. The artwork is the same. Just the features are different. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the cabinet artwork. The premium and LE have essentially the same cabinet artwork, just in a different color scheme. Okay. And then the pro has a completely different artwork. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So that, that's that's the way it's set up. Well, so, that's interesting because usually the even the. Even the LE the is LEs different than the different. premium, yes, generally. Yeah, but this, this time they went with essentially the same artwork, just two different color color schemes. So it's... Uh, I'm kind of liking the yellow. I do too. Of course, I that's the LE. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I love the yellow. It's... Uh, I've heard other podcasts where uh, the comments were made that the, the yellow just didn't really sit with them. But for me, man, I, I think it, man, dude, it's it's comic art. Yeah, you know? I, like it I said, just, I'm kind of digging it. It, I, it just looks it, good. I, it, they should have, well, on the modern back boxes, they they still have um, team molding around the the outer edges, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, around the rims, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, should have done that yellow. Uh, yeah, I wish they would. Yeah, because it, 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 it almost looks like the, the back box is just like stuck there. Like, yeah. There yeah, it is. It, it looks muted by comparison, yeah. doesn't it? But I'd say that, well, that's an easy mod yeah. right there. Now, this next one, Brent, I don't know how much you've been following this, but... Almost, did, almost not. Okay, almost yeah. not. I know well, of the company, and that's about it. Okay, and well, I heard a little bit about what you're about to mention. Yeah, I, so I'm not going to go deep into this, but what I will say is that um, if if you want some if you want some really good discussion on the deeper topic, then I would listen to uh, the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast and the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Um, some also on the pin, on the pinball show, uh, is also another one that I would check out as well. All three of those podcasts have done, uh, bits and pieces of covering this topic in its entirety. Uh, and you'll get more information than, than you could, uh, ever shake a stick at around deeper, but they, they did do, uh, or they, they did attempt a reveal, uh, this past, this past week, I guess at the time we're recording and, uh, it's a shame. Five years in, and they decided to change course on the reveal. And Brent, they we still don't have outside of some pictures on this week in pinball. Which actually, if you check out that website, there's a lot of there's a lot of information on Deep Root and the reveal on, or what was to be the reveal on that on that uh, on that blog. But it's a shame, Brent, because we're five years ish in, and Deep Root uh, just still hasn't delivered. And Do they I, have I, anybody's I, money. They don't have anybody's okay. money. So so nobody can truly, quote unquote, complain. They have not made the Zidware customers whole as of yet. Not not oh, completely. I, I had forgotten that that was an out. That was an out. That was. Yes. yes. So okay. they, they were to make the John Papaduke Zidware customers That's whole. Right. That hasn't happened yet. But they have taken. But that being said, they have taken no money from customers yet. So it's not like they owe us, quote unquote, anything. 
it's just the the sheer fact that they have been very vocal uh, about their uh, about their positioning and their stance on the rest of the industry. They've even uh, they, they've been so f- in so far as to actually uh, what I would say use the term bravado <laughs> around how they have uh, how they have built themselves as being the answer to the woes of the modern pinball industry. And uh, I tell you what this makes they, me think yet of. They, they showed nothing. So it, it's, it's a shame. Th- this may this will probably ring home to you and ring home to a lot of our listeners there in corporate America. There always seems to be this, you know, what's the buzzword of the week? What's the what's the whatever? There, there's a common phrase that once it kind of enters the lexicon, it'll float around through all your you know, your tiers of meetings and then yeah. eventually be supplanted by the next, by and the next one. One yeah. of the ones that I always thought was funny, uh, especially being used here in Kentucky because, um, it really doesn't fit, but which is you, you're, you're out in front of your skis. Yeah. And you're, you're over your skis. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about like having seen someone on a ski jump, maybe like at, at winter Olympics, the, the, the phrase means is you've gotten your, your, your head, uh, uh, beyond the tip of your skis, your balance is off and it's Katie barred the door. Cause the landing yeah. isn't going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. And, yep. and that this is this to me is the, is if you looked up that phrase, that's deeper, our, that's deeper, that's deeper. And yes. even the Zidware thing, uh-huh. their entire existence seems to be beyond the tip of their skis. Yeah, it's predicated on the fantastic yet nothing has ever materialized. Yeah. And and if you go to this week in pinball, they they do Jeff Patterson in his site, he does a fantastic job of covering what was uh, shown at at was what was to be the reveal and you do see some pictures of Raza and and you do see some of their innovations but ultimately it's it wasn't truly a reveal it wasn't truly a media event it wasn't truly what they as a company at least in my mind should be targeting from a marketing and a customer engagement perspective it almost felt like a organized leak and it just did not hit with it didn't resonate the way that I feel that it should resonate, especially five years in. Now, I mean, I understand it takes a long time to build a factory and to build industry and pinball is hard. I, I, I so appreciate that. It, I, I know it to be that way. Uh, but ultimately, I just I just I have wanted so much better out of deeper than what we've seen. And it's it's a shame that we just haven't gotten anything. So I don't know. I, I call it the misgivings of a promise is what <laughs> yeah. it is. And uh, hopefully the next year is kinder to deep root uh, and to all of us as potential deep root customers. So we'll just have to wait and see. So when he let's move on to something a little bit more happy. Yeah. A little bit more cheerful. Yeah. And that is a contest. Winner. Yes. But what a great way to wrap up the show. Okay. So we happy have, birthday to us. Yeah. Happy birthday to us. <laughs> yeah. We're giving, yeah. we're giving it all away. No, in fact, Brad Hunter is giving it all away and we thank Brad for his sponsorship and his partnership on this. But yes, we are at the end of the show and it is time to announce the lit frame contest giveaway part due. All right. So just as a recap, uh, Brad Hunter, 
uh, esteemed gentleman and friend of the show, uh, sponsored us with one of his white... His accolades get longer and longer they, they, every they, time you talk about they, it. They do because he's such a solid dude, you know. <laughs> but he did sponsor the giveaway for this contest, and it is one of his uh, white lit frame, uh, his translite, his backlit translit frames. Uh, no translite is is included with this. You, you just get the frame, but you do get a frame, a lit frame, which is awesome. This is the Stern LCD size... Uh, uh, again, white frame border. Mention that all RGBW LED features uh, that are controlled with, that are remote controllable, and these are all of the uh, the quality items that Lit Frame is known for. So the way that we set the contest up was choose a number uh, between one and one thousand. And closest to the pin wins. Okay, so Brent, I had the way that I set this up is I had my daughter Grace go into her room, sit down with a blank piece of paper, and she put the number on the paper, folded it up, and then gave it to me. Okay, okay. then I have been sitting on that. All right, and then I pulled. We put the number inside the coin door of the tempest. So I'm going to get the number out of the coin door of your tempest. Okay, he, he is literally reaching into yeah. the coin door, and I'm going. I'm going to rustle through the coin door of Brent's tempest right here. Okay, and I think I keep rustling. You're yeah. going to, you're going to fire up the show dogs. Yeah, we we don't we don't. Oh yeah, I don't I don't want to do that. Do it. Okay. All right. So we're going to shut the coin door on the tempest, and we've got that shut. And then we are going to. Open up said paper, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hurt everybody's ears by the <laughs> paper crackling that I did. Okay, but the winning number was number six seven seven. Okay, that was the winning number that Grace picked out, and Mr. Troy Gibbs on Facebook guessed number six seventy six. So he was one off. So Troy, congratulations! You're the winner of the white. Lit Frames from Brad Hunter and LitFrames.com. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. So, Troy, I'll be reaching out to you to get your information, shipping info. We'll get that over to Brad. And then uh, Brad will get you taken care of post-haste. So thank you for everybody that entered. We had uh, well over 200 entries and uh, either between Facebook, Twitter, and then contacts on the, um, on the website. It was, uh, it was a nice contest. Really appreciated everybody who played. And uh, we'll, we'll have to dream up something else to give away here, you know, by show number 100 or something. So there's that. Oh, you know what? Uh, I'm sure that if I dug through some of my stuff, I... <laughs> I had something in mind today that's like we should give that away on oh, the show, and I've t- I I've completely spaced on what it was. I remember yeah. thinking I got to talk to you about that, and yeah. I, I just remembered that I was thinking that. Oh, I've got a couple things too. Can't we got to remember put, what it was. Well, I'm sure I, it'll come up. I'm telling you, you find it, put it in a bucket. I've got three or four things. I'll put in a bucket, and then we ought to do a show number one hundred extravaganza giveaway. Honestly, you know, just what I'm thinking all too kinds is of crazy stuff. I mentioned earlier going through my shop and getting to the point where I'm just going to start tearing tearing stuff out and, and cleaning up and putting stuff back and reorganizing. I know that, that as I go through, I will find quite a few neat little baubles and trinkets, uh, giveaways from shows, branded things, yeah. one of a kind things. And, uh, that maybe it's a, maybe it's a time to share the wealth. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, it sounds good. So everybody, listen, we certainly appreciate you hanging with us. We hope that you enjoyed the, uh, the format for the show. It was a little different, but still a whole lot of fun. And, uh, we'll, we'll do another mailbag show here pretty soon, but Brent, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick us out and tell everybody where they, where we can be found. 
So we can be found on iTunes and we ask, please leave us a review, uh, rate and review the podcast. We don't do this for, you know, we're not uh, monetized by any stretch of the imagination. No, it, no it's reverse monetized yeah, it's, is what yeah, this is. It's a, it's a sinking ship. Yes. Uh, but we're happy to do it. Is However, if you rate and review us, it gets us out there. It brings yeah. us up in the, in the search results and the suggestions. And uh, it just gets us out there to more people. And, you know, we, we'd love to, we'd love to help, inter, you know, entertain or help educate uh, anybody that's willing to listen. So For sure. check us out on iTunes. Please rate and review us. We're on uh, Stitcher Radio Podcast. And of course, we're in the Google Play Store. Yep. And then on social media, uh, we're at Facebook.com slash Broken Token, uh, Twitter at Broken Token, and then the website, BrokenToken.com. So Brent, with that, number 93 comes to a close. We'll, uh, seven years. Seven years. Hard to believe, man. We uh, we we should have planned better. That's the only thing I know to say. <laughs> we I, I don't. We ought to pat ourselves on the back. Call it job. Call it job well. <laughs> job well done, and then keep on going. I mean, so, we're at that point in our life yeah. anymore, Whitney. We're, our birthday's just another day. It's just you know? another day. Yeah, I that's, know. That's exactly. But right. still, seven years doing this. That's great. It, it is great, isn't it? Yeah. And I've yeah, only regretted awesome. one or two of the years, so it's it, awesome. It's awesome. Hey, and, well. You know, my, not not every year's a winner, Brent. No, you know, no, my, my regret year count is less than my non-regret year count. So I call For, that a win. It's it's you a to, it's a total win. It's a total win. So you know what? I, I tell you what. If uh, if fortune smiles on us, we can do it another seven more. So with that, everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Look forward to uh, talking with you again next month. And until then, uh, keep your quarters clean and game on. Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the only person on staff who has actual vocal talent, Miss Christy Letzi. And that's me. <laughs> music for the Broken Token Podcast is graciously provided by Mr. Scott Denisi. For more information about his music and the projects that he works on, visit his website at www.scottdenisi.com. Go Team Fiero. All right, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go when you're ready to go. <laughs> I mean, the number does go up by one every time. So, there, I mean, we do have that That's going unexpected. For us. <laughs>
<laughs> is that the way it works? Uh, typically, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. It's not pretty. pretty. <laughs>